your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Edmund with a drive out to deep right. It is gone. It's a walk off. The Cardinals were down to their final out, and they win it off the bat of Tommy Edmund. Home run number six. The Birds walk it off. He's a big part of the heartbeat of this club. Just the way he plays, the way he goes about it, is uh, is key to what we do. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner Hendricks, it'll be back later on this week. Big win for the Cardinals the other night. I understand that is not the way that you wanted that series to end, but I would like to begin today's show with a little bit of appreciation, by the way, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Some appreciation for what Tommy Edmond is, what he has become, and where his future looks like it is going. Alex, as I was looking through some of his numbers yesterday, I was honestly in shock, and it shouldn't surprise me at this point. If you go by wins above replacement, it's a flawed statistic. I understand all of that, but I do think it gives you a good glimpse into who these players are. That's an all-encompassing number. It includes stolen bases, base running. It includes defense. It includes what you do at the plate. It's everything, right? Tommy Edmond is third in the National League and wins above replacement behind only Manny Machado and Mookie Betts. If you look at him compared to every other shortstop that we all wanted this offseason, he's better than all of them. None of them are better than him so far. If you look at his rankings among all Major League Baseball shortstops so far this year, he's basically top 10 in every statistical statistical category, and that's at the plate, Alex. He also brings value defensively. He's one of the top base dealers in all of baseball. And in terms of the intangibles, he's just a gamer. Like, I want that guy out there for me. He comes up in the clutch, as we saw over the weekend. My question to you, and 65780 is your comfort service tax line. I want to hear from the listeners as well. Has Tommy Edmonds solved the Cardinals shortstop issue? Are you comfortable with him not just right now being a fill-in at that spot, but potentially being the answer for you at that spot? Absolutely. He's my shortstop. Like, that's it. The decision is final. I'm not talking about other guys trying to fight for the position. No, Tommy Edmond is the shortstop. And for anybody who hears that and says, no way, that's not possible. What else do you need to see? In my opinion, he's better defensively than Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa at this point. I've seen plays by Tommy Edmond that I'm thinking, damn, I didn't expect him to make that play. Now, 
Is it a little shaky? Probably because he hasn't played shortstop since college. But I think if you give him consistent reps, he's going to be your best defensive player at shortstop that you have on your roster. And offensively, he has been your most consistent player this season. More consistent than Goldie and Arenado. Yeah, and the other thing that's crazy, man, he's third on your team in home runs this year. Like I, says I a lot about Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. It does if he had like three. He's got six so far on the season. We're not even 60 games into the year, and he's already up to six. That's pace of like 16 to 18 home runs. It, and you would like to see guys like O'Neill and Carlson above that, no doubt, especially O'Neill, and we'll get to him later on this morning. But I, I think that's about the range that we all expected Dylan Carlson to be in. I didn't know that we were going to see that kind of power this year out of Tommy Edmond. The thing that I, I really respect about him as a player is that last year and really so far in his major league career, his biggest issue at the plate has been his on-base percentage. He did not walk very often. And so as good as he was as a contact hitter, there were times where he would go into a hitting slump because he doesn't hit the ball crazy hard. And that tends to happen. And the batting average would go down and the on-base percentage would really suffer as a result. This year, he's walking in line with what you typically would expect from an above-average hitter. He's at around tip, at about a 10% walk rate. He, That's really good. He's top 20 in the National League in on-base percentage. That's tremendous, man. And so coming into the year, I had some questions about him as your leadoff hitter because of that on-base percentage. Now, you've solved your, your leadoff issue that you've had in recent years you've solved in my opinion i agree with you alex your shortstop situation he has become the player that we've been looking for you said coming into the season the cardinals really need to find their edgar renteria he's not the same player as edgar renteria and i'm not going to pretend that he is edgar renteria for a two-year stretch had about a 320 batting average that's not uh tommy edmund it probably never will be but he's probably the closest thing you've had to him since Edgar Renteria. And that's huge because that's, in my opinion, that was an element that the team was just missing that fourth bat. Now, when I said that in the preseason, I was anticipating Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson to be that third bat. And you're looking for that next guy. And this is that depth of strength, depth of offense that you're talking about. But more importantly, for the longest time, we have been asking, where's the leadoff hitter? Matt Carpenter was it for a few years, and then Matt Carpenter turned into the power hitter, and then he shifted down into the middle of the order. But other than Matt Carpenter, I mean, who was the last consistent leadoff hitter for this team that you can think of? I mean, the first one that comes to mind Supposed for me, to be Fowler there for a while, but that didn't work and out. And that turned into a, a switch leadoff hitter, and then he was in the two spot. I mean, David Eckstein, is that the last consistent leadoff hitter that you can think of now it's Tommy Edmond like if you look around the National League you look at teams and you're like yep that's their leadoff hitter so that, that's Tommy Edmond I mean he's second in the in, in the National League in runs scored he's got three triples on the season he's got the speed he's got the power he's got the ability to walk if you need him to he doesn't strike out Tommy Edmond has been the most consistent and to Ali Marmol's comments, the heartbeat of this team. He has been the guy there every game this season, which I think is very impressive for a guy that a lot of people that looked at coming into the season saying, nah, he's not going to be much for you. Yeah, it's been everything that they needed. And then some six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line uh, to get involved in the show. Uh, from the 314 guys have been saying this from the get-go what a value Tommy Edmond is so underrated how lucky are the Cardinals to have him 100% and it's not just luck they drafted and developed him 
And that's part of this as well is we get on the Cardinals for not drafting and developing these kinds of players. Tommy Edmond this year is exactly the type of player that the Dodgers have been developing for years that we've looked at them and said, why can't the Cardinals do that? Why can't they develop their version of a Chris Taylor or Max Muncy or those kinds of guys that they come up? You're like, damn, that guy's so much better than I expected him to they be. Got two of them this year. Cardinals, yeah, yeah. Brendan Donovan yeah, as well. You could think, throw into the mix when you when you uh, phrased it like that. I thought Brendan Donovan immediately. I think you could throw Dylan Carlson into that mix as well. I understand he was more of a top prospect, so that changes the conversation. Would but you put Juan Yepes kind of borderline that because maybe. he was a he was a higher end prospect, but he wasn't a Nolan Gorman type prospect. Yeah, for sure. I think that he's part of that as well. From the three one four BK, what happened to your idea that Tommy Edmond should be a platoon option for the Cardinals? He started yeah. hitting better, like. Guys, sometimes we can change our, our opinions on things. I wasn't so sure about this Tommy Edmond at shortstop situation because I didn't know what you were going to get out of second base. I got to give a lot of credit to Nolan Gorman. He's been fine. He's been fine. There were a couple of issues early on. He had a few throwing errors, a few issues where you could tell some of the double plays that needed to be made. They weren't getting made. He's fixed some of that over this weekend. He made a couple of really nice plays, in fact, defensively. Turned a couple of really good uh, double plays. I didn't notice this weekend any plays that, because of Tommy Edmond or on Sunday because of Nolan Gorman at second base, were not made because those two are your middle infield defense that would have been made if you had a combination of like DeYoung, Sosa, and Edmond in there. And that's all you need. As long as they can make all of those routine plays, you still have Tommy Edmond playing at a borderline gold glove caliber level, you're good. Here's my question to you, Alex. We talked so much about the free agent shortstop market in the offseason. And two guys that felt like maybe they were in the Cardinals lane of spending, possibly, were Trevor Story at about $22, $25 million per year. And the same was true of Javi Baez. Right now, if I told you you could have either those guys on their current contracts, one of those two, or Tommy Edmond acknowledging he's a much cheaper player right now for the foreseeable future, which would you rather have, taking into consideration what they cost? Uh, I mean, I think this is a pretty simple answer. It's Tommy Edmond. Taking into consider cost, but you're also taking into consideration age and controllability, which probably isn't a word, is now. But it's Tommy Edmond every day of the week. He's got three more years of arbitration after this year. He's costing you $720,000 a season. And he is your third best player on the team just as an overall yeah, player and value. your most consistent player on this roster right now. And that's, you have him locked up. That's pretty amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Like The Cardinals were able to figure this thing out at one of the premium positions in the sport when all of us, myself included, Said all offseason, just figure that out. Can now, you please just go sign a guy. Now, here's the I other question, because you're the guy who gets all hot and bothered by extensions. Are you talking to Tommy Edmonds side right now? So I think I've learned a lesson. Don't, here. No, 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 no. Don't tell me to pump the brakes on this because it's not one year of consistency. This is consistently. It depends consistent. on what he'd want. If if Tommy Edmond came to you and said six years, 10 mil per year. See, that's too much. Get, I, just because of the way that arbitration works, like he's probably going to make two to three million dollars next year if he plays like this all season. Yeah, because of the way arbitration works, wow. so he's going to get almost nothing. Sucks. And then year two, he'll probably get like six to seven, and then he cashes in in year three of arbitration at like 
10 to 12 ish million dollars, maybe a little more than that, depending on how, the way that salaries are at that point in time. So you're talking like $25 million is probably what he's expecting over the next three years. So if I could sign him for five years and 40, something like that, where it's guaranteeing him, you are going to get $40 million over the next five years. I'd probably do something like that. What was the Colton Wong extension? You act like I have I, that I, in my back pocket or I'll, something. I'll look that up. That would probably be the framework for what you're well, talking about. While you about. look that up, because we're already seeing a couple of texts come in on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I'll take Story at shortstop and Edmund at second base. I'll take Correa at shortstop and Edmund at second base. You're past that now. Because you have stuck with Nolan Gorman, and rightfully so. Nolan Gorman has looked good in the early portion of his Major League Baseball career. Why would you want to go get somebody to put him at shortstop and put Edmund back at a position that he's very good at, but he's also playing a position that he could just continue to get good at? If he's good at shortstop, you don't move him off of shortstop because that position has more value. And so right now, what you have is a really good defensive shortstop who also happens to be hitting at a pretty high level. I understand the the slugging percentage is not crazy high right now and probably won't be with him, but you're getting top value at one of the most premier positions in baseball. You don't move guys off of that. If you've got an outstanding center fielder and you think he's just going to be really good defensively there and also, oh, by the way, he's also a plus hitter for that position, you keep him in center. You don't move him to right or left. And I know less value. I don't know if Tommy Edmond will ever win a gold glove at shortstop because that position is always just so stacked. But I can guarantee he's going to be in the running for it because Tommy Edmond is just a gold glove caliber player and you hope it transitions to shortstop. And so far, it looks like it has. By the way, uh, Colton Wong signed the five-year $25.5 million deal with the Cardinals back in 2016. I think he had, I think that was going into his first year of arbitration, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember that correctly. So you could be looking at something like five years, $35 million, five years, 40, something like that, given the way that salaries have increased over the years. All I'm saying is I'd lock the guy up. I, I think I would do that. You moved on from Colton Wong because you thought Tommy Edmond could live up to those expectations he has, and I think he's done more than that. Yeah, I'm with you. And by the way, the reason why, to your point on not going out and getting a more expensive shortstop, why you don't do that, because this offseason allows you to allocate that money elsewhere. Instead of doing $20 million towards your shortstop situation, see what they got elsewhere. Yeah. Maybe you end up going out there and looking at the market for a corner outfielder. Or maybe you go out there and you look for a legit frontline starter to put at the front end of your rotation. Those are the kinds of things that become possible if... You've got shortstop solved. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, we'll talk a little bit more about that shortstop situation. The guy that used to be your starter is absolutely crushing the ball right now down in the minors. And Alex, don't look now. The Cardinals are going to have a big decision to make on him here in the not-too-distant future. We'll get into that in the 12 o'clock hour. Questions and answers coming up at 1130. We've got Katie Wu at 1145. Talk more Cardinals pitching side of things next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One of the most impressive things is his ability to just slow everything down. And he continues to do that regardless of what situation we put him in, whether he's out of the pen, starting, it doesn't matter. Um, Today was fun. You had a packed house. Um, and he's just under control the entire time. That was Ollie Marmel after the game on Friday in which Andre Pallante, what a, what a performance by him, first of all. 
And I think that what I was at the game on Friday as a fan. The way that Marmel described that performance is exactly the way that I would describe it as well. That was just a really fun baseball game, man. It was cool to be there. It was awesome to see Andre Pallante, who struggled in that first inning with his command. He couldn't find the zone. They go out there. They're able to calm him down. And from then on, it just felt like he was on cruise control. And what he was able to do as a result was go five and a third, gave up a total of six base runners in that one, zero earned runs, a shutout for him, five, five and a third scoreless innings. His ERA on the season is down now down to 1.04. Even if you look at some of the more advanced numbers, he's been really good for you from start to finish so far this year. Alex, where we've arrived is that Andre Pallante has backfilled what they wanted Jordan Hicks to be. He just gave you what would have been Jordan Hicks' best start of the season. I, I think it's better than Jordan Hicks. I think it's what they wanted Alex Reyes to be. I think they looked at Alex Reyes and thought that this guy, his peak is a 3-4 in a rotation, and Andre Pallante just showcased that, at least for me. Because watching that, uh, I never expected what Pallante has done this season from Jordan Hicks as a starter. I, I just didn't see it. And I know a lot of people were optimistic about it. For me, Jordan Hicks was always a bullpen arm because he's just got that velocity. I, I don't know if the stamina is there to go deep into games, but you knew he could give you two innings if you needed it from him. Andre Pallante has shown me that he can come in the middle of a game and give you two innings. He can come in and just get you three outs, or he can do what he did against Cincinnati and give you 78 pitches in five and a third. That's what was most impressive to me, BK. <laughs> he did, I mean, how many pitches did he throw in the first inning of that game? Uh, I mean, a lot, more than you wanted. Let's say he threw like 20 he was like in the 20 range. So that means he threw 58 hypothetically in four and a third inning. Like that is about as that's about as crisp as you can ask from a pitcher. He was moving quickly. He he seems to have great command after that first inning. It just it looked like everything clicked for him. And now you move forward. And Marmol said before the game on Friday, hey, this guy is going to be on a starters rotation now. That That's what we're expecting out of Polante. And we'll see if that ends up continuing or sustaining. But that's where they're at right now with him. And do they are they doing this out of necessity? Sure, because this clearly makes your bullpen worse until they get Jordan Hicks back. And it sounds like he's probably going to be back, honestly, before Steven Matz is. But th- this has been... What are you, what's going on? I was just going to say, can I say something real quick? Because somebody's already texted in and said it was against the Reds. Chill out. Uh, against the Mets so far this season, he's pitched five innings and has not given up a run. Um, against the Brewers this season, he's pitched in two games and did not give up a run. The Marlins one game did not give up a run. I mean, I can keep going through the list if you want me to. The Padres one game and gave up one run. The Giants three games and did not give up a run. Like, don't give me the, oh, it was against the Reds. Chill out. No, he's done this, whether it's been in the bullpen role or, or a starting role. He's done this all season. It's weird, too, because like when you watch Palante, you can see the stuff. He, he's throwing 96, 97 miles per hour. Uh, he's got the slider that he goes to quite a bit, and it's been an effective pitch for him. He doesn't miss any bats. Yeah. It's really similar in that regard to what we saw early on from Jordan Hicks, where it's like, man, he's throwing 102, but everybody's hitting it. The thing that is so impressive about both Jordan Hicks previously and also now Andre Palante, they can't hit it hard. I don't know why it's something about his deceptive delivery. I think his stuff has so much movement on it that it freaks guys out. 
you look at the barrel rates, nobody hits barrels against Andre Pallante. And so the quality of the contact is just at an incredibly low level. They don't hit for extra bases. So are they making contact? Yeah, regularly. But his spin rate's crazy good. They don't get a good read of the ball. And you see some really uncomfortable at-bats as a result to that. So Andre Pallante right now, I, I don't think he's going to be a starter the rest of the year. Eventually, you're going to get Steven Matz back. You're very close to getting back Jack Flaherty at this point in time. So this is a brief period in which he's going to be a part of your rotation But what I love about what he's done for you is last year, and this is what we said at the beginning of the year, last year you didn't have an Andre Pallante to go to. Your Andre Pallante was Johan Oviedo and Jake Woodford and these guys that just, they seems to make the moment too big. It always felt big for them. Pallante's the opposite. Marvel has joked about how sometimes they don't know if he knows where he's at. (laughs) He's like, you don't realize you're pitching in front of 43,000 fans at a completely sold out Bush Stadium where standing room only even was completely packed. And this dude struggled in the first inning. I looked it up through 24 pitches against the Reds, had no clue where the where the strike zone was. And then, boom, mowed him down from there on. He threw 54 pitches the rest of that game. Like. That's what you want. Yep. That's what they were looking well, for last year. And he I, can be their 2022 version of Wade LeBlanc. That was already here. Well, see, and I was actually going to say, better. you said Friday they need to find their Luis Garcia. I think he is your Luis Garcia, right? But like, with more value. Well, exactly. Because he can start. With more length. Mm-hmm. Like Luis Garcia was a one-inning guy. This is a guy who can get you out of a jam, let's say, in the fifth inning and then give you two more if you absolutely need it, which I think is a huge commodity for this team. I, I mean, we've talked at nauseum about having the Gallegos's and the Cabrera's to close things out, and now the Ryan Helsley's. But then who's after that? You don't have to worry about the Whitley's and the Verhagen's and the McFarland's because you'll have the Palantes going into the bullpen. I mean, that's that's four guys right there. In an ideal situation, you get to the fifth inning, and you're talking about Palante, Gallegos, Cabrera, and Helsley. I mean, that's what you essentially, that is the peak goal. And did you mention Hicks? Because eventually he's going to be Didn't out there even too. mention Hicks there. That's what you want. You're in a really good spot right now for the the, the foreseeable future. If you can get quality starts in these next couple of days from guys like Libertor and Thompson tonight, Uh, they're, they're not out of the woods yet when it comes to this innings crunch, but they're getting closer to being able to get out of this mostly unscathed. The thing that I do want to add into this conversation, I mentioned that Palante pitches to contact. Much like what I said about Steven Matz coming off of, I don't know if you remember that spring performance where he just got hit around and none of it was hard contact, but it's just, there was like eight straight singles, basically. Those were tight butt cheeks started out the season for me. You're going to get some of that with Polante, and there's going to be moments where he can't find his command. We saw that earlier this season where he came in for a relief appearance and walked like three straight guys and just never could find the zone and they had to take him out without him really even getting through the portion of the game that they wanted him to. That's going to happen sometimes, and we've got to be able to live with that. He's still a young pitcher. It's going to take some time to develop him into what he's going to be. But even acknowledging that as the downside to him, man, this is this is so much more than any of us, including Tanner Hendrickson, could have ever expected out of Andre Pallante. Early it was a and they needed it. It was a T-bone three, but I don't know even if Tanner expected Pallante to be the guy that headlines the T-bone three. No chance. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Katie Wu of The Athletic about Andre Pallante, Tommy Edmond, what she expects from Paul DeYoung, and 
Where are this team's needs right now as we get closer to the trade deadline? We're about six weeks away now. What does this team still need as it's starting to get healthier? We'll talk to Katie about that coming up at 1145. Questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. joins the show coming up in about 10 minutes or so but right now let's get into some questions and answers 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 guys i told my friend last year that if matt carpenter cut his beard off he would start hitting again my question is was i right about his beard or is he just getting better pitches to hit because of the great players around him right now i would say run with the beard comment with your friends make them think you're uh, nostradamus there in all reality, he's hitting in a... Vi- I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter, we're going to talk about this later. Great for him, man. He looks like a confident player. But he is playing in a ballpark that is very different than Bush Stadium to where it's a little easier to hit home runs as a left-handed hitter than what he was at Bush Stadium. I mean, Matt Carpenter made the necessary changes. He didn't adjust he in the for season too. like two years. He said all offseason, and I remember Ken Rosenthal wrote about this over at The Athletic, he went on like this excursion to find his swing again. It was basically the adventures of Matt Carpenter. Yeah, like Lewis Clark finding different yeah. uh, batting coaches. He was traveling down the Mississippi <laughs> to try to find out how to figure out his swing. With a full beard too. And he just, he, he seems to found something. He was swinging it well when he was in the Texas Rangers minor league system. By the way, you think they wish they would have kept him? Um, no, they stink. And now he's doing it at the big league level. This is going to cool off at some point. It's not going to sustain, but six home runs in his first 24 at-bats, it's absurd, man. And I'm so happy that the guy is able to have this kind of success afterwards. And we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but uh, nothing but happy uh, for him. I'm going to try and shave my beard and just go the mustache like Carpenter and see if it helps with softball at all. From the 573, guys, what do you think will be the determining factor in the Lightning beating the Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final? I think it's pretty simple goaltending yeah and i think uh colorado doesn't stand a chance right now with andre vasilevsky who i just told you in the office in elimination games since 2020 vasilevsky holds a 1.28 goals against average which the only goaltender to have a better record in that three-year span is ed belfour who had a 1.18 over the last three years while they've been in this uh run stanley cup contention every year he has a 930 save percentage over a three-year stretch in the playoffs. I was really hoping he shut out the Rangers uh, because that would have been seven straight elimination games that he has allowed only one goal total out of 200-plus oh, shots on goal. And not only in elimination games, in his last 10 games, aside from the two games he's lost, he's 8-2, and two, the games that he's won, his worst save percentage in those games is 933. Oh like, God. think about this for a minute, which is just so absurd to me, and nobody's ever going to surpass Wayne Gretzky. But you could have a player at the end of his NHL career have more goals than Wayne Gretzky, the most in the National Hockey League. You right now have a player, Connor McDavid, who I don't know if he's ever going to catch Gretzky in points. He's not. But in points per game, you're probably going to have a guy who's right there with Wayne Gretzky. And you're seeing the best goaltender right now in the National Hockey League. Better than Hasek, better than Wah. I mean, this Vasilevsky is putting up absurd numbers right now. I think he's probably going to win the Conn Smythe if they win the Stanley Cup. Oh, he will. He or Stamkos will, because Stamkos has just been on another level. Oh, especially in that conference final. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want your captain to do. 
Vasilevsky won the Smythe last year. He was the first to accomplish that since Jonathan Quick did so in 2012. Bennington should have won it in 2019. The last player to win back-to-back Smythes was Sidney Crosby in 16-17. Before him, you have to go back 30 years to Mario Lemieux. The last goalie to win back-to-back was in 1973 and 1974. It has been 50 years, basically, since we've seen this kind of dominance in back-to-back years by a single individual goalie. Well, and I hate That's to, absurd. I hate to say it, but Colorado, I don't really think stands a chance against Tampa. Now, I think the series will go six. I do think there's a chance it goes five. Tampa Bay, or Tampa Bay has gone through a gauntlet to get to this point. The Rangers, uh, the Florida Panthers, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Colorado swept Nashville. They swept Edmonton. The hardest competition that they had was against the Blues, and they have not gone up against a Vasilevsky type other than Bennington, who's nowhere near Vasilevsky, but that's the best goaltender they went up against. So to answer the question, goaltending is going to decide this series, and I give a heavily favor, a dumb, advanced analytics, 90 to 10% to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And what's impressive, too, I'll just say this, is that those series have been grueling, too. That Toronto series was grueling. The conference finals against the Rangers, who are a very physical team, and they did it without point, and point should be back for the finals. They're relatively healthy going into the Stanley Cup final, which is huge. Final thing here from the 618, 636, rather. Would you have any interest in the Blues trading for John Gibson, who has just requested a trade from the Anaheim Ducks? Damn, these texters are on it. Um, Trying to look at it. So I will tell you for me. No. I am sticking with Jordan Bennington. He is a proven playoff performer. We just saw him this year stand on his head once again. I'm not getting rid of that for the possibility that John Gibson can give me basically in the playoffs what I know Jordan Bennington can do. They're the same age. Over the last few years, they've been pretty similar in terms of who they are. They're the same player. I'm not I'm not trading my known for a possibility. They're the same player, just less experience on Bennington's side because Gibson's played 378 regular season games and Bennington's played 168. They've got eerily similar goals against average and save percentages. And yeah, over the last four years, Gibson has a 908 save percentage. Jordan Bennington has a 911 save percentage. If you're looking at goals allowed on average, it's 2.6 for Benner. It is 3.01 for Gibson, although acknowledging the guys in front of Gibson have not been as good as the guys in and front of And they're the Benner. same age. So the only yeah. difference is you're taking on an extra $400,000 in cap space. So why would I trade for a guy who's more expensive with less playoff experience for a guy that single-handedly would have won a series against the Colorado Avalanche if he didn't get ran. Yeah. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex asked an interesting question of me earlier today. Do the Blues really need to upgrade the fourth line, or should they learn the lesson that we're seeing from these teams that are in the Stanley Cup final right now and maybe upgrade the top nine instead? We'll talk about that coming up at 12. Katie Wu, Cardinals Insiders, next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex 
Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line while we are having a rave here in the studio, apparently. Get your, get <laughs> your uh, glow sticks out right now. By Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for the Athletics. She's joining us here on the show as she does each and every Monday. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How you doing today? BK, Alex, what is good? How are you guys? Doing fantastic. So let's start with the obvious, which is, so is Tommy Edmond just an all-star caliber shortstop now? Tommy Edmond, believe it or not, entered Sunday's game against the Reds with the top overall war in baseball, 3.6. Let me, I'm going to compare some names in the top 10, and I want you guys to tell me if you think that these players are good. These are players that Tommy Edmond, again, as the number one player, or number one war in baseball, has beat out. Okay, so we'll, we'll give you a yes yeah. or a no, a verbal yes or no if they're good. Do you want sarcasm, okay. Katie, or do you not want sarcasm? <laughs> no, we got to be serious here. Oh, okay, serious. Okay, serious I'm segment. putting on my game face. Sorry. Okay, ready. You ready? Paul Goldschmidt? No, Paul Goldschmidt. Is he good? Yes. Oh, yeah, of course he is. Hall of Famer. Manny Machado. Yes. He, he's quite good. Very yes. good, I've heard. I would take him. Mike Trout. Oh, uh-huh. Yep, pretty good. He's a legend. Can't confirm. And he's a great commissioner in fantasy football. Not a big fan of ESPN leagues, though. Or Tommy Pham. <laughs> All right, last one, guys. Is she speaking? Is she talking? Do we have a bad connection? Katie, who is it? I can hear you. Who is it? <laughs> Who's the final <laughs> one, Katie? Who was the last one? You're leaving us on, our, on yeah, edge. Are you going, like, deep tease here? No, I'm sorry. I must have lost connection for you guys. Do we think Mookie Betts is good? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, he's, yes, he's great. Mookie Betts is v- very good. Phenomenal. Also a, a tremendous uh, defender. Bowler. Is he? Yes. He's a great bowler. Yep. Huh. Multiple 300 games. A little weird how you know that. Here, guys, this question. Yes. <laughs> Tommy Edmond is an all-star caliber player. It doesn't seem to matter where the position he, or where he, where the position is, where he bats in the order. He can pretty much do it all. We saw this on Saturday. First career walk-off home run. Cardinals had absolutely no business winning that game, yet they did. Um, and it's been pretty exciting to see the evolution of Tommy Edmond over the last two seasons, where I still think he is one of the most underrated uh, players in the game, but it's slowly but surely, I think, climbing up the rankings of notoriety. Katie, notoriety, I should say. Katie, has he wiped away any consideration? And I know th- this is just us talking right now, but has he wiped away any consideration of anybody else trying to take that shortstop position away from him? Is that his position now? I think what makes Tommy Edmond, as uh, Nolan Arnotta would say, you know, the guy that you think about when you think of the Cardinals, I think what makes him play so well for this team and fit into this mold is that he doesn't need a defined position. And we've seen the Cardinals be so fluid in roster roles and defensive positioning. He can play anywhere they need him to, whether that's second base, shortstop, he's a fourth outfielder. I mean, he's played all three outfield positions before. So as, as well as he's handled the move to shortstop, I don't think the Cardinals are necessarily committed to him being the everyday shortstop, and that's not a knock on what he's been doing. It's the fact that he is so flexible and can go anywhere that they don't want to limit him to one position. And that really works when you look at what the Cardinals have depth-wise, when you look at their prospects like Brendan Donovan, when you look at him in the Sosa. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to Paul DeYoung when he's doing in AAA. Yep. Tommy Edmond is just so flexible that I think that contributes to his overall value. So, no, I don't think that he's locked up the shortstop position, but that's not meant in a negative connotation. It's just that he's so good anywhere. Why limit him to one place? So that's where I wanted to get to next, Katie. We might as well just go straight there. What are the plans for Paul DeYoung? He had another home run yesterday, three this weekend. He has seven in the last 12 days for him. And in that stretch, he's batting 333. 
eight home runs, 19 RBIs. He's been tearing the cover off of the ball down in Memphis. Is he going to be back up with the big league club before too long? And if so, what do you think his role is when he gets here? I think it's a little bit too early to tell, but I will say that he certainly is forcing the narrative, and that's exactly what John Mazzalek and the Cardinals wanted Paul to do when they optioned him down the AAA. They did not set a definitive timetable for his return. They wanted a straight-up, no-pressure environment for him to truly like reinvent and refine himself, really, because the Paul DeYoung we've seen over the last 18 months has been nowhere close to what he resembled in 2019 and 2020 before the COVID season, or before he was suffering the bout of COVID that he did. And it takes some time, as we know. It certainly seems to have reinvented himself, at least in the sample size over the last three weeks. I talked to Paul very briefly yesterday. He said things have been a lot better. He's finding some consistent contact. And I asked if there was anything specific that he felt like had really attributed to that. And he was pretty honest in saying his posture, which was something that he was working on in April at the big league level, and an overall trust in his approach. He's focusing on driving everything to center field. We've seen Paul DeYoung's power come to all fields. That's when Paul DeYoung is at his best. I think that he will continue to force consideration, and that's ultimately, again, what the Cardinals want him to do. When he comes up, I don't, or if he comes up, I should say, I think the organization still believes that there is a way to play Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, and Nolan Gorman, who they still very much believe is their long-term starting second baseman at the same time. Will they have to continue getting flexible with Brendan Donovan? Of course, because at this point, I don't think you can justify sending Brendan Donovan down, really. But... If Paul, if Paul DeYoung continues to contribute this offensively and give the Cardinals every reason to bring him back up, I mean, look at what they're paying him. They certainly want him at the big league club. And overall, I mean, he's just so well-respected in that organization. I think they'll bring him up. But, again, this goes into the overall flexibility, and it also goes into the perks of having a DH in the National League. Yes, I'm finally on board with that. <laughs> I think that there's, <laughs> there's an ability to kind of finagle those four in DeYoung, Edmund, Gorman, and Donovan, where they can all receive consistent playing time. I do think if Paul comes back to the Cardinals at the major league level, I don't see him being the everyday starting shortstop, but I see him getting substantial playing time. I know the cliche answer to this, Katie, is, uh, you know, well, these things always work themselves out, but you're not a president of baseball operations, so, so I don't expect that answer from you. If Paul DeYoung is brought back up, does that pretty much signify the end for either Edmundo Sosa or Corey Dickerson? Well, these things often have a way of shaking themselves out. Come on, Katie! <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, they're difficult decisions. To have, But that's what the Cardinals wanted. That's what this front office wanted. We talked about this before, you guys. 2022 has always been a prime window of contention for so many multiple factors. But a huge driving force in that proclamation was their top prospects being major league ready. And not just major league ready, but actively contributing at the club. John Mazzella's philosophy has always been, if you're a young player and you're up, you're, you need to play. That's why we've seen Lars Newfar go down to AAA when there was a log jam in the outfield because he's young, he needs the experience, he needs the consistency, he needs to play. The best place to do that for him is AAA. I do think that there is kind of a, a difficult thought for what this means. If, if Paul DeYoung forces his way back onto the club on what that means with Sosa, how are they going to finagle that other roster spot? You know, is Juan Yepes better served finding a better approach in AAA? What does that mean? Um, I think the Cardinals do have some very difficult decisions to make over the next couple of weeks, but isn't that what you want from an organization? Think where, we, where this team was a year ago. Their best reserve outfielder was their gold glove winning second baseman. They had virtually nobody else that didn't even start on the pitching. So overall, I think this is a much more enjoyable problem to have from a fan perspective at least. 
Katie Wu is our guest here on 101 ESPN for another couple of minutes. Katie, I did want to ask you about Tyler O'Neill because since he returned to the lineup, he's been quite good. He's batting 333. He's got a home run. He has a double. Nine of his 18 batted balls have been at least 95 miles an hour off of the bat. So that means based on the stat cast numbers, he's got a 50% hard hit rate, which is very good. That's where you want to see Tyler O'Neill. Is he back? And if so, have you talked to him or anybody around the Cardinals to indicate what has changed for him since his return? I think it's just a refreshed mental set. I mean, we saw Tyler O'Neill in the first six weeks of the season. He looked nothing like what he turned out at the end of 2021. I think Tyler O'Neill has described himself as a feel hitter. You know, once he has that feel, it's really easy for him to, to build off of that and figure out what's working for him and what's not. But when he loses that feel, it can be difficult to scramble and, and find back. And what I appreciate about Tyler is while he acknowledged the arbitration case and dealing with that throughout the season, remember that's very unusual to have to deal with arbitration in season. Definitely played a toll on, on where he was mentally, but he was not one to use that as an excuse. He said, overall, I just lost my feel. I can't find it. I'm working on different things. Nothing seems to be working. And you could kind of see that developing into a tailspin. So, of course, you always want your, your best players to be healthy. You never wish injuries on anyone. But it, I feel like it serves Tyler well to take some time off, regroup, refresh, work on a swing for a couple rehab assignments in AAA and come back. So I know it's only been six games, handful of plate appearances, but that swing, the, the analytics, the metrics, all resemble a lot more of what the Cardinals believe they would see in April. I do think Tyler at this point is better served in the middle of the lineup, maybe 6-7 rather than the three-hole. But the good thing about that we know about Ollie Marmol's lineup construction is that he's willing to shake it up. So I've been encouraged by what we've seen by Tyler O'Neill. I would expect it to continue, but these are obviously trends to monitor going forward. Uh, Katie, let's stick on the rehab assignment conversation and Jack Flaherty. I really wasn't expecting him back until around the All-Star break. Uh, should we expect him back sooner than that? I always want to tread carefully because the Cardinals have been so insular about their, their timetable with Jack, and that is because there really isn't a definitive timetable. It's always been about recovery, health, long-term goal. But talking to Jack yesterday, I think that if he was given the green light to go pitch today at, for the Cardinals, he would feel like he could do it 100%. He said this is the best he's felt since 2019. We know what he did in 2019 with that ridiculous, sensational second half. Um, of course, he's only at 60 pitches. He did point out that in, in prior stints, starting pitchers have come back without being on their full stretched-out pitch count. I think there's reasonable optimism, but let's, let's, call, let's label it cautious optimism, that he could be back depending if things go well in his third rehab start, slated for 75-ish pitches with AAA Memphis on Wednesday. Uh, but I do think that it's, it's time to get excited about a return for Jack Flaherty. But ultimately, if the medical team, if the Cardinals believe that he'd be better served for their long-term, remember, this is a guy that they are talking about for, to carry them throughout the second half into what they hope is a deep postseason run. If they think one more rehab start is beneficial in the long run, they will certainly do that. Although, like I said, I think Jack would pitch today if he could. Katie, final question that I've got for you is about Andre Pallante, who on Friday night, uh, Ollie Marmold had to almost hide his smile from his face as he took the ball from him in the sixth inning. And then afterwards just said, like, that was really fun. I just really enjoyed watching Andre Pallante pitch. That's kind of how I felt about it, too. And I felt that way all season long. He's just been such a pleasant surprise to me. What have you made of what Andre Pallante has been able to do thus far, especially as a guy who it seems like they've used him in 17 different roles and all of them. He's kind of like the Tommy Edmond of the pitching staff where he just makes it work somehow. 
Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Andre Pallante because I think he's just been so exciting. When you talk about the prospect depth that the Cardinals have had, you obviously think about Gorman Libertor. Now Thompson, of course, had his first start today. Andre Pallante has was truly never super highly regarded. Was in the top thirty rankings, low or low mid high twenties uh, throughout his very short minor league career. But what Pallante has been able to do. I think when you're looking at, and I try not to compare players too much, but I think it's a fair comparison to Hicks. He's been able to have that ability to go long because he has come up through the rankings as a starting pitcher. And he has the arsenal that plays, and he has the fastball with the cut movement that's unpredictable yet still controlled. And while Jordan, by all means, has all the talent and, and all the allure of being a starter, I think the more practical goal at this point is to put Pallante in the rotation at least until Jack or Steven Matz comes back. And when Jordan is healthy, move him to the bullpen. Because I think, one, it allows for a quicker return for Jordan Hicks. You don't have to ramp up to a full starter's workload. Two, I think Jordan Hicks' high velocity and really two-pitch mix profiles very well in that bullpen. And three, let's take, for example, yesterday's game. If you have a guy, Dakota Hudson was pretty much stretched to go seven innings because the Cardinals don't really have someone they feel like they could take the middle innings now that they moved Pallante, who was that guy, to the rotation. If you, Dakota Hudson, I don't think the line was as egregious, or the, I don't think his style was as egregious as the line would say, but you know, probably shouldn't have gone out for the seventh inning. That's a spot for Jordan Hicks. That's a spot where you can hold the game and maybe those three innings play a little bit different. Um, I have been encouraged. I know Ollie Marmel and John Mazalek have been very encouraged with what Andre Pallante has done. He prototypes well as a starter. Cardinals need to be a little bit experimental with their rotation over the next couple of weeks. But I think it's almost definitive to say that the roles between Pallante and Hicks will swap. And once Hicks is healthy, I think it will be an overall better bullpen. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's It's been Cool, because last year at this time we were talking about how the Cardinals were in complete free fall because they're pitching. There was nobody that stepped up internally. And to see somebody kind of take this by the horns, it, it, that's been what's most fun about Andre Pallante thus far. Katie, we're looking forward to reading your coverage over at The Athletic as long as you don't melt out in the 127-degree uh-huh. heat oh my this goodness. week. Yikes. We wish you the best of luck out there. Thanks so much, as always, for hopping on with us today. Thank you, boys. I will need it, especially with that very fun day-night doubleheader tomorrow in the triple-digit heat. Love it. I'll see you guys over the week at ballpark. Awesome. See Sounds Katie. good. That's Katie Wood here on 101 ESPN. Follow her over on Twitter, at Katie J. Woo. Be sure to uh, subscribe as well. She's got excellent work. You got JR's work over there as well. Some of the national analysts are fantastic. It is well worth the price of admission over at The Athletic to follow Katie Wu's work. Alex, what would you say is a successful trip? or homestand rather uh, this week. You're already two out of three against Cincinnati. You've got four games over the next three days with Pittsburgh, Thompson, Libertor, Michaelis, and Palante. So you've got three very young starters in that four game stretch against Pittsburgh. What is a successful homestand in your mind? Three out of four. That's kind of where I'm at. Has to be. And I don't, I, I get that. It's a, it's a tough week for the young Cardinals pitchers. I think two is the bare minimum, but three makes me feel like it was successful. It is the Pirates, though. And that's where I feel like the pitching should be able to thrive in the circumstance. But like one of those games on Tuesday, you're probably getting either a off day or a DH day for Arenado. The other one is probably for Goldie. Like they're they're gonna try to get those guys off their feet just because like I, I know we can laugh at it. It is so ungodly hot out there. Having guys go both games in the oh, day-night yeah. doubleheader is going to be brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. I still think 304 is, is 
kind of what I look at in that series. That's kind of where I'm at as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we're in or out on it. But next, do the Blues need to upgrade their fourth line or should those assets be going towards their top nine? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So what do the Blues really need to accomplish this offseason? If we decided to take the path of least resistance and we said you can only make a couple of upgrades, most of it you're going to run it back. What are you focusing on with Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis? I'm Brandon Kylie. Do they need to upgrade that fourth line, which we talked about really all year long, Alex? Or should those assets be going more towards the top nine? Where do you fall on this, especially as we watch teams like the Lightning and the Avs playing right now or getting ready to meet for the Stanley Cup final? Well, let's start with this because I know everyone's going to text in and say, you got to start with defense, idiots. That's assumed going into this offseason that you're fixing the top side with Colton Pareko. But beyond that, I'm, I'm watching the Tampa Bay Lightning against the New York Rangers, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I know the narrative of let's go get Matthew Kachuk or David Pasternak. That's out there. But realistically, those options might not be there for you. And I don't think you're going to be going after the Nazem Kadris or the Burakovskis or the Andrew Cops. But I'm also thinking to myself, do you really just need to upgrade the fourth line? Because you've got guys internally that can help on the fourth line. You just need an identity. Or would it benefit this team to go sign a player that upgrades the third line and then moves guys down into a fourth-line role that can create an identity. And what I was thinking by that is, let's say the guy that was on my list, Nick Paul. If the, car, if the Blues go into the offseason and give Nick Paul a multiple-year contract worth $2.5 million per year and say, okay, it's going to be a competition between Nick Paul and, and Ivan Barbashev for the third line. And just for context on that, the Athletic had him projected for four years and about $13 million. Yeah. Like. Three and a half per year. Yeah. So maybe you get a little cheaper. I don't know with that. He's had a good postseason. But if you make it a competition between those two teams or those two players, one of them is going to be down on your fourth line. And I know that's like, oh, he's on the fourth line. He's not going to agree to that. Well, the fourth line is going to be utilized more if you're getting one of those guys to play in that role alongside an Alexi Torpchenko and a couple of other guys. I just think, yes, everyone wants the Matthew Kachucks. That's not as realistic as we are hoping it to be unless something changes. Yes, you would love to go sign the Nazem Kadri's or one of the top free agents to play in your top six. That's not realistic. But if you re-sign David Perron, wouldn't you rather go out there and rather than run it back and have the same issues with your fourth line, wouldn't you rather go out there and sign a guy who's having some success, maybe get him to a nice contract and have multiple options to play on your third line, which is going to bump guys down to the fourth line, the pack mentality that Armstrong talks about. So here's what I'm kind of looking at as is currently constructed, right? I went through to figure out, okay, what's the money situation? Because to start with some of the money, and then we can talk about the players. So as you're currently constructed, you've got $9 million in cap space. Now that does not include David Perron. It does not include an extra forward. That's with 11 forwards under contract. So you're probably going to need about an extra million bucks there. So let's call that $5 million between Perron and whoever that extra forward is that you're going to be included in there. You need, you've got six defensemen right now under contract. You still need to re-sign Mikulis on that uh, RFA deal. Same thing for Perunovic. Let's call that like guy's gonna two be to two and a half million bucks total between the two of them. And then you need your backup goalie to be signed as well right now. Million, million bucks right there. That's about eight and a half million dollars. So that gets you essentially to the cap. If we're just talking about getting a 
vet minimum or a rookie deal for that extra forward and then re-signing Peron, Mikola, Perunovic, and basically bringing back the game, right? Running it back next year. The way that would look if you did it with your four lines, Sato, Riley, Perron, that's your top line again. There's some combination of this in your top nine. Buchnevich, Thomas, Tarasenko. I know we disagree a little bit on what the future holds for Jake Neighbors. I think he's a top nine forward. I think that's the way that they'll view him going into camp. So you'd have Neighbors, Shin, and Saad. And then your fourth line would Saad include... Saad was on your top line. Excuse me. Neighbors, uh, Shin, and Barbashev? Uh, I, no, Neighbors, Shin, and Kairou. Kairou. Oh, is yeah, the name that sense. I mentioned needed to have there. And then on your fourth line, Barbashev's probably centering yeah. with Toropchenko and then one of Walker or Brown on those wings. And in all reality, that is not a bad roster. And I'm under the assumption that you're upgrading defensively if if you're able to accomplish that. But because You'd have to move some money around if you did that. You've got And that's where it comes back to the other conversation. And at the same time, you didn't mention Alexei Toropchenko either. He's yeah, Toropchenko on the fourth line with Barbashev. Barbashev so, and either Brown or uh, Walker. Well, yeah, and you got Brown and Walker, and then there's the guy right now in Springfield, and, and of course, Clem Costin's there, Dakota Joshua's there, Mackenzie McEachern's there, but there's a guy down in uh, in Springfield right now, his name's Will Bitten, who was acquired in a trade with the Minnesota Wild. This guy's got 17 points in the playoffs so Damn. far for the Springfield Thunderbirds, and he plays a a physical fourth-line role. So you've got the depth that that is needed, I think, to run it back. But I also think that if you run it back with that same team, it's good. But I think you need a different type of player in there. And that's why I went to this thought over the weekend watching that series and watching the Nick Pauls play. And I know Grant's guy Frank Vitrano scored a big-time goal for the Rangers even though they lost. But it might be good to go out there and get another type of player that wasn't on the team to come in and add something from the outside. Is that player potentially Jake Neighbors? I guess that would be my question is when you look at what Nick Paul has been now, he is not proven he's young. It's going to take time, but can Jake neighbors project to be that physical front of the net style presence that we've been looking for. And now you drop down Ivan Barbashev. And I know that he had a good year this year in the regular season. I think we saw there are some limitations there as a top nine winger for you, though he can play there. If you have injuries that you deal with, I do think that feels a little more natural with a Jake neighbor slotting in there as that top nine left wing. I think those, those are high expectations for a young player to become a net front presence in your first full season in, in the national hockey league. And I think Jake neighbors can do it. I've told you guys that like peak Jake neighbors in his career is Braden Shen. Like they, they, they remind me of each other very much. I just don't know if that's going to be his role all season, because one thing you got to take into consideration, if you're expecting Jake neighbors to be in that role, you're going to get some young mistakes. You're going to get some young player mistakes throughout a season. Do you want that if you're trying to chase a Stanley Cup? That's why if I can go get myself a Nick Paul and put a veteran presence who is going for a Stanley Cup in my third line and Jake Neighbors is a fourth line player, that's a that's a damn good stacked lineup with a guy with a guy who has a lot of expectations and a lot of high upside, but I'm allowing for him to learn throughout the season rather than expect him to be a big time player so here's the problem here's the tough part if you do that we're almost back to the situation they were in at the trade deadline where it is if they're running this back it's money in money out Mm -hmm. so if you're going to add a nick paul at let's say it's three and a half million dollars that that seems reasonable for what he's going to provide to somebody especially coming off of the stanley cup playoff run that he's been on 
you're going to have to remove $3.5 million. And there's two easy ways to do it. Well, not easy, but two ways that make the most sense to be able to do that. Either you trade Barbashev for prospects, guys that you, you can kind of backfill later on with, or you decide to go the route that Doug Armstrong has not gone, and you potentially buy out a Marco Scandella. Yep. Now, I want to say on the front end, this is something that we have never seen, literally never, with Doug Armstrong in charge of the hockey operations. They do not do this because more often than not, they don't get into those kinds of deals that they would have to buy, in, buy out of the back end. But... If the Blues decided, you know what, to be able to make some money work for us, we're going to have to go this route. They could make the money work by deciding to buy out Marco Scandella, and maybe that's the easier route to go as opposed to trading a guy like Ivan Barbashev. And, and I think a, the best of both worlds. A lot of that might hinge on if we see a Jacob Chikrin trade, because if we see that, I think Armstrong might be a little bit more comfortable in buying out Marco Scandella. Yeah. And I kind of hope to see that, because I really think – this fourth line might need to be nailed down a little bit more. You look at the fourth lines that are having success right now, what Colorado just did to the Blues with Cogliano, Helm, and O'Connor. That line had a lot of success against the Blues. We know what Tampa Bay has with Maroon, Pierre-Edouard, Belmar, and Riley Nash. But even going back to before the Blues won the Cup in 2018, the fourth line for the Washington Capitals was Chandler Stevenson, uh, Jay Beagle, and Devontae Smith-Pelly. And if you remember, that line was huge for the Capitals in the Stanley Cup final against the Golden Knights. The fourth line could be a very big element for the Blues when it comes to really stapling themselves down in the playoffs. And someone texted in and said, don't buy out, still count against the cap. Minnesota's got $13 million in dead cap. They count the following season. So the $13 million for Minnesota didn't count against the cap this year, but it kicks in next season for the rest of their contract. I should probably explain that. So the way that this would work with specifically Marco Scandella, if the Blues decided to go this route, he would count against the cap as $550,000 this year. And then $1.4 million next year, 1.1 the year after and 1.1 the year after that. So in total, it would be $4.25 million that he is counting against the blue salary cap over the next four years. So you're essentially stretching out that cap hit over a longer period of time. Now, the way that this would work next season is they would save basically $2.7 million against the salary cap. Mm -hmm. The year after that, they would save almost $2 million against the cap. And then you're paying an extra $1 million for a player that's not on your roster for two straight seasons afterwards. So you're doing it to get that $2.7 million. This year. I think if you make a trade for Jacob Chikrin, I think Marco Scandella could potentially be a piece in that trade. Not so much of, wow, you got to attach an asset to it. More so, Arizona's in a rebuild. Arizona's got a lot of cap space to work with. Arizona wants draft picks because they're turning things around. Maybe, maybe obviously, he's not going to be the highlight piece of that trade, but if it's the Scott Perunoviches or the Ivan Barbashevs and you're attaching a first-round draft pick because it's Jacob Chikrin and you tell him, we need you to take Marco Scandella as well. Okay, we need a fourth-round draft pick or something. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility for Doug Armstrong because it's a package deal, and you're getting that top guy back, and you're clearing out some of that space. And Arizona's only getting two years of a veteran who could add a presence to an Arizona Coyotes team. Yeah, it, it might take another second-round pick or something like that, and the Blues are just kind of running out of those mid-round draft picks to be able to trade right now, yeah. and that's where it gets a little bit difficult. 
far be it for me to tell somebody how to spend their money. I, I think the easiest route out of that would be a buyout. I, but it, it's just it is not something philosophically that the Blues have been willing to do in recent years. And for good reason. It's not great business sense to just spend $3 million to not have a guy on your roster. By the way, Marco Scandella does have a modified no trade clause, which he submits a, a team or seven team no trade list. So that goes into the conversation with this as well. And to the point of buying out, I get it. It's the easiest way to do it. But just like a no movement clause, Doug Armstrong sticks to his guns in certain situations. And I think he feels that unless we can make a deal to acquire a better defenseman and Marco Scandella is a piece of that deal, we'll keep the guy because our defense plays well if he's there rather than just paying him to go away. He's not that much of a liability. Yeah, it's just the tough part is it it becomes a situation where if you don't want to trade Ivan Barbashev, and they might not. They might view him as the answer to their issues on the fourth line. Yeah. That That is totally possible, and it would make a lot of sense. Then you've got to find that money elsewhere if you are going to upgrade the top nine. And, and the that's... only real place to find it is Marco Scandella. Yeah. Either via trade, maybe somebody's willing to take on that salary, or via the buyout. And if you added in Nick Paul into that, that top nine, so you've got, let's say, Nick Paul, Shin, and Kairou on that third line, and then you drop down neighbors with Barbie and Torpchenko. Now we're talking. Yeah. And that's that's how it could make some that's sense. That's more that. realistic of what I think could happen. And you find some type of veteran to be. But again, the one thing that I am curious about coming up in this offseason is how they view the fourth line in the depth. Because they've got some guys that are performing right now, including that Will Bitten that I've talked about. Mackenzie McEachern has had a very good postseason run. Dakota Joshua. And then we've mentioned the Logan Browns and Torpchenkos got a lot of guys but do they view those as guys the that are the answers or do they view maybe getting a different voice in there six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line coming up in 15 minutes is tyler o'neill really back or is this just a little bit of a hot streak we'll talk about that coming up at 12 30 but next let's play a game of in or out six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line we'll start out with this there are 14 pending unrestricted free agents in this year's stanley cup final is Nick Paul the number one player you would want to add, taking into account what they're about to get paid to next year's Blues team? We'll talk about that. Get to in or out next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line Monday. for in or out, guys. Phil Mickelson is talking to the media right now. Obviously, there's some controversy surrounding golf in general. But let me tune in. Certainly, with Phil and his commitment to playing for this new golf league, live. He was asked why he decided to go out there and why this was appealing to him. I respect his honesty. He said, "Quote." I think there's an obvious, incredible financial commitment. Yep. Yep, so you, that checks out. So you could say that the, the, the new league that he is in now provides him and his family a good living. Yep. That that would be what I would okay. say, Alex. Well played there. I had a good dad joke over the weekend, too. In or out, this golf league is around five years from now. I'll say out. Uh, you're not. Uh, you're seeing a lot of the top guys obviously move over there now with Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau. But at the end of the day, sooner or later that money's going to run out because the PGA PGA is going to have 
leverage over Liv no matter what. Like, Liv's not going to have the Masters or the They've US They've got Open. money. The, the money is not my concern. It, the <laughs> money goes away sooner or later, though. Ah, not when it's backed by the Saudis. <laughs> that oil money tends to keep coming in. Um, I'm not worried about the money's part of it. I do think eventually pro golfers like to compete. And when you're not going up against the best of the best every week, and I think eventually that will be the case, I think more of them will start saying, you know what, the exposure is not what it used to be. These tournaments are not what I have come to expect with the PGA Tour. I think five years from now, the league exists. I think there's maybe one or two of these stars doing it as opposed to a bunch of them going over in droves for these $100 million commitments. I think that's probably closer to what it is. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals will end up trading for a superstar player at the trade deadline. Out. That's simple. Okay. Cardinals ain't going for no superstar players. I think they're going to end up trading for a bullpen piece that maybe we don't look at as super exciting, but ends up being a significant piece to what they're trying to do in in October. Go get yourselves Amir Garrett from uh, Kansas City. That'd be solid. Lead, uh, uh, eliminate the TJ McFarlane and have another. I think McFarlane, if he doesn't get things fixed, man, he, um, he might be uh, limited on time either way. What's Michael Lorenzen doing? He's with the Angels, right? He's been really good with them. I, I have always liked. He's got the. He's got like the Andre Pilat feel to him. Man, he's been good. Sixty innings. He start. He so he's a starter with yeah. the Angels. I'd be another guy I'd be calling upon if they're not making the playoffs and and finding out what they'd want for him. And the Angels have been playing quite a bit better lately so uh, we'll see what well, ends up happening they with snap them. that 10 game losing streak 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out we mentioned this on the other side alex i want to get your guys thoughts on this Grant, you can get in on this as well there are 14 players that are going to be participating in this year's stanley cup final on the lightning and the abs that are pending unrestricted free agents so they're going to be available in the open market barring something unforeseen if you could add one of them to the Blues this offseason, who would it be? And take into account the expected money that they're going to get. So, uh, like a Nazem Kadri is going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, realistically speaking, who would be the one player from this Stanley Cup final that you would want to add to the Blues that's about to be a free agent? Mine's pretty simple. It's the guy we just talked about, Nick Paul. I think that's the one that matches the identity of this team to a T. I agree with you completely, Alex. I do like... Arturi Lekanen, although he is a restricted free agent, so if Colorado doesn't end up signing him, I do really like Arturi Lekanen, but I think it's Nick Paul all the way. I wouldn't be opposed to Darren Helm either, although he's probably going to stay with Colorado because the dude's like 36, 37, but he'd be another that's a good veteran to put on your fourth line. I think Nick Paul, dollar for dollar, is probably the answer that I would go with. But to be different, and I've mentioned this guy before, I would probably go Andre Pilat. I, I think he is he is this year's Brandon Sod for me. And I think they're they're not the same player, of course, but they've got some similarities in the way that they play, winning at the front of the net, having success in the playoffs, coming from winning pedigrees. So the same reasons why I thought that Sod would be a good fit here are kind of the same ideas as to why I think that they, Andre Pilat would make a lot of you sense. Get, He's just going to be expensive. If you yeah. have to say, if you get Pilat, you're not getting Perron back. Or you're trading Tarasenko. Yeah, I think it's probably the latter. I think you would go with a, we're trying to have two pieces 
fill in. You could honestly go out there and get Nick Paul and Andre Palat if you traded Vladimir Tarasenko for a young and group one, of prospects one of those, slash picks. One of the, the problem with that is you're losing two top six forwards and you're only gaining one top six forward. Because I don't think Nick Paul's a top six. I think Nick Paul's a third liner. Who are you losing? Ron and Tarasenko. No, you, I'm oh, saying you're getting one you of could, those two, and then you're able you to. You could get both of those guys for the cost of Vladimir Tarasenko. Basically, oh, yeah, I guess you could. Four and lot, three. Let's say it's four and a half million dollars, yeah. and let's say it ends up being three. Problem with that Nick two, Paul. though, is you're going to go long term with somebody, and I don't know if you want to do that. That's right. Especially if you want the chance for a Matthew Kachuk. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, at least eight of the top nine forwards for the Blues from last year will be back on the roster this year. In. I'm in. You guys think it's going to be kind of a quiet offseason? I don't know if it's going to be a quiet offseason. Quiet in terms of the forwards. Uh, the forwards. I, I don't know if it's going to be quiet on that end. Like, Because I think the, the ninth that's not there is going to have significant noise around it. It's going to be tough to do that, though. If you've got eight of the top nine coming back, you're not going to have the cap space to do something significant in that ninth spot. If you've got eight of the nine coming back, that ninth could potentially be Vladimir Tarasenko being traded away. It could be David Perron not That's being right. re-signed, or it could be... Uh, in all reality, I know we joke about it, but if Ivan Barbashev for some reason has moved, that's a significant trade I don't by joke the Blues. About that. I'm totally serious. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm meaning more like... I mean, that's a significant piece. If you're trading that away, I mean, that's a 25-goal score that you're making a move on who's making $2.5 million. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, if and when Paul DeYoung is back... He is going to be starting for the Cardinals. Out. I, there's, I don't understand, even if the guy is just raking right now in Memphis, how is his performance in AAA something that is outperforming Nolan Gorman, who I know has dipped off a little bit, but the potential is there. Brendan Donovan, who deserves to be in the lineup every single night. Juan Pez, who's dipped off, but we've seen the potential. And hit a big home run. And Tommy Edmond. There's there's no way Paul DeYoung's performance in AAA trumps what those four have done at the majors this season. Even if they've dipped off for a couple of weeks, Paul DeYoung dipped off for 18 months. So I'm trying to think against left-handed pitching. That's where I think DeYoung gets his starts. Well, but Brennan Donovan has done well against left-handed pitching. But okay. And Juan Yepes has done well against left-handed pitching. I think Juan Yepes maybe fits into that. But he's not going to be a middle infield. I'm thinking of the middle infield configuration against left-handed pitching. It's basically Donovan versus Paul DeYoung. And, and I, one guy's performed at the majors this year, and the other guy hasn't performed at the majors for the last year and a half. I hear you. I think that's where he gets his starts. I think that's where he gets his opportunity. I just don't agree with that. Left-handed pitching as your starting shortstop, and then Paul De- or Tommy Edmond on those days goes over to second, and then when they bring in a righty, that's when maybe you go I to I think your that happens if he comes up and performs. Because Ali Marmol's message is if you hit, you play. You, It's not if you hit the minors, you play. It's you hit at the majors and you play. So you come up and you get an opportunity to hit and you do so, then you're going to get playing time. I just don't think they're going to bring him up as a backup. We'll talk about this a little bit more coming up in the one o'clock hour. I, I think if he's coming back up to the major league level for the Cardinals and he's back with this organization at this level, I think he's going to be starting a decent amount. And I know people are going to be frustrated about it. I get it. I don't blame you at all. But I do think he would be back in the lineup more often than any of us were expecting. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the junk drawer. But next, Tyler O'Neill looks like he's back to being himself. 
What does that mean for the Cardinals lineup? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Neal base hit into left center. A run will score. Arenado to third. He'll be waved in. And two runs will score. Tyler O'Neill has driven in all three today. Tyler O'Neill is a big part of what the tr- Cardinals are trying to do this year offensively. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Since his return to the lineup, he's not played in six games, Alex. Um, downside, Cardinals are two and four in those games. But for him offensively, He's played very well. He's hitting 333 in this stretch. He's slugging 500. He has a double. He has a homer. He had six RBIs so far in this set stretch of six games. And over the weekend, I, I thought he looked really good, man. He was hitting the ball hard consistently, and that didn't always pay off in terms of uh, getting hits. There were a couple of really impressive plays defensively against him. A couple of balls that were he gave a ride out to basically the warning track and the ball didn't quite carry enough, but He has six hits of at least 100 miles per hour since his return to the lineup of his 18 batted balls. Nine have been of the hard hit variety, which is at 95 miles per hour or harder. That's what you're looking for out of Tyler O'Neill. Hit the ball hard consistently, and those results will eventually come. What have you seen thus far from him since his return, and do you think that Tyler O'Neill is back? I wouldn't say he's back because when I say Tyler O'Neill is back, I'm thinking of the MVP home run every third at bat, Tyler O'Neill. And I don't know if you even get that guy back, but that's been the the notion of Tyler O'Neill in my head. I do think he's trending in the right direction because what I've seen is less strikeouts. That's the biggest thing that I wanted to see from Tyler O'Neill because the guy just looked uncomfortable at the plate. I mean, heck, his pre- or his last two games before he went on an injured list, he had six strikeouts in two games, six strikeouts and nine at bats against the Mets. That doesn't signify a Tyler O'Neill that we're comfortable with. And since his return, he had three strikeouts in that first game. But then in his last five games, he's got four strikeouts. And I mean, that's a total of, I don't even, that's a total of like 13. No, I'm sorry, 16, 17 at bats. So that's the one thing that I'm noticing about Tyler O'Neill. But the fact that he's hitting those balls hard also tells me that you're starting to, to round into what you were expecting with. And Katie Wu even said it earlier with us that look, Tyler O'Neill might have just needed that mindset refresher because he just didn't look comfortable from the start of this season. So hopefully the mind has been refreshed. He's back into the routine that he needs to. Hopefully this is the start of something. He's got a couple of games where he's got multiple hits. One thing that Tyler O'Neill did very well last year is that he hit both right and left handed pitching. And the Cardinals earlier this year, the problem for them, and this has been a problem for years, is that they have not had enough guys that can hit right handed pitching. Now, Goldie can do that. Arnado can do that. Those guys are superstars. Your left-handed bats, they can do that. You look at uh, what Nolan Gorman is doing for you right now. He's basically exclusively hitting against right-handed pitching. Uh, Donovan, that's where he does his best work is against right-handed pitching as a lefty out there. But you add Tyler O'Neill to that group, and now you're looking at your top seven switch hitting Edmund. Gorman, who hits from the left side. Goldie and Arenado, doesn't matter who's on the mound. I feel pretty good about them going out there. Donovan, who bats from the left side. O'Neal doesn't have significant splits, lefty versus righty. Carlson, who is a switch hitter. There's your top seven. Suddenly, there is a lot more balance, a lot more flexibility within that lineup if Tyler O'Neal, like you said, Alex, 
doesn't have to get back to what he was a year ago where he's a legit MVP candidate. I just don't think that's realistic anymore. Maybe not. Maybe he's more of a 25 to 30 home run guy that's going to hit 250. Honestly, that's a super valuable piece in today's game. Mm -hmm. You, You can deal with that as long as he gets back to something resembling that guy at least. But I always say... You can judge a lineup based on who you've got in those six and seven holes. I think that shows the depth of a lineup because most of the best teams in the league, they're going to look really good one through four. Once you get beyond that, though, that's that transition period. It's almost like if you have a, a starter that only gets you through four innings. The real test of a bullpen is how do you get through the fifth and the sixth? Everybody's got a good back back three, seventh, eighth and ninth. They can figure out how to get those outs with their best guys. How are you going to get there? What's that bridge look like? And right now that's been the problem for the Cardinals. And honestly, in the lineup that had been the problem for them for years, you could get one through four. And then after that, it just dropped off quickly. If you can get O'Neal and Carlson going, you now have that transition. You have that danger coming from not just the middle of your order, but now towards the bottom of the order. And that's where things start to get really interesting about this offense. Uh, The way I always view this Cardinals lineup is, is where's the catcher hitting? And a lot of the times it's been Yachty and now with Kisner. And I found it interesting. Uh, Marmola, I think, was asked that yesterday about his thoughts on, on the, the production from the catchers. And he didn't even really mention Yachty. All he mentioned was Kisner just obviously needs to be better offensively. But if those if your catcher's hitting six or seven with this team, I think you probably need another bat. And, and he should be batting eighth every in day. In all reality, that's they what like this that Cardinals have. But that's what this Cardinals team has. Their catcher is hitting eighth in any situation that you can view with a lineup because Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and then however you want to do the double combo of Edmund and Donovan Gorman, Yepes with the DH, there's no scenario that your catcher is hitting higher than eight unless they're, they've got a hot bat. So I think the Cardinals have that depth for their lineup because of how deep they are, and Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson really fix that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, did you even watch the offense this week? Most of it was gifts from the Reds, walks, pass balls, errors, etc. That's how the Cardinals were able to score. Uh, those are considered still RBIs. Uh, so there is some truth to what she is saying there, and that... There was some frustration as I watched the Cardinals offense at times over the weekend, and they were lucky that they were playing a team like the Reds. But that's the team that was on the schedule. Cardinals took advantage of it. They end up winning two out of three against Cincinnati. They did end up finishing the the last, I guess it's five games now. One, two, three, four games. The last four games, they are six for 34. That's a 176 batting average with runners in scoring position. In those four games, they have left now 27 men on base. You can look at this one of two different ways. On one hand, that is really bad luck. You're hitting into very bad luck. More often than not, that batting average will be representative of what you are as a team in general. And the Cardinals are closer to a 250 to 260 batting average as a team. So that 176, that's not representative of who they are. The 27 men that they left on base... Obviously, in a four-game stretch, that is too many guys that you are leaving on base. I like the fact that they've had 27 runners to be left on, though. That, is, that means that you're consistently getting guys on base, and if you can improve that batting average with runners in scoring position, those runs should be coming across more often than not. So I, I am of two minds. It's frustrating to watch it in the moment. I'm happy that they were able to salvage two out of three when they did not have their best clutch-hitting performance over the weekend by any stretch of the imagination. They also ran in. I know people are sick of hearing it, and I get it. it. You're right in being frustrated by this, but 
they did run into some really difficult pitching over the last four games or so. The Rays pitching staff is phenomenal. And you did see a couple of really good starters over the weekend with Hunter Green yeah. and Luis Castillo for the Reds as well. Yeah, Luis Castillo. I mean, he settled in because the first inning they got to him. And then yep. after that, it w- and that's the that's the concern when you go up against good pitchers like that. Like you get to him in the first Gotta inning get them early. and then they settle in. And by then you're you're already behind an eight ball in that circumstance. And look, that. You could call it bad luck. You could call it uh, poor situational hitting, whatever it might be. And the Cardinals, by the way, have been one of the five best teams in baseball on the season with yeah. runners in scoring position. But as Mike Schilt all tells us to be optimistic and live longer, think of what they are when they're on rather than just dealing with the bad luck right now. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We talked about this a little bit earlier. We'll get further into it. What's the plan with Paul DeYoung? Does he have a future here in St. Louis? And if so, is it as a starter? We'll talk about that coming up at 1. The Junk Drawer, though, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I would imagine you're either already into or getting close to being into the Pixar uh, portion of your daughter's life here in the not too distant future. Yeah, we're uh, we're stuck in the Mickey Mouse clubhouse and Bluey phase still. She's not. She's I'd not say within the next year. Yeah, she's you'll not, be getting into Pixar. She's not fully invested in watching an entire movie. It's usually quick episodes. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is because over on the Ringer. They have a bracket that they just put out. You would think they would do this in March. Mm -mm, Nope. Middle of June. That's when we're deciding to do this now. Everyone does brackets in March, BK. I know. That that would be cliche. This is totally different. They put together a bracket, and I got to give them credit. They did a pretty good job of this. Of all of the Pixar characters over the years. So they ranked them one through 64 and then put them into a bracket and they're going to come up with the greatest Pixar character of all time. Or at least that's what their hope is. Okay. I want to give you some of these seedings. You guys can tell me if you think that it was the proper seeding, who you think got well, screwed, all of the above, if right? If Woody's not the winner, then this is a joke of a bracket. But we'll go start on. with the one seeds. Your one seeds right now. Woody. Okay. Dory from okay. Finding Nemo. Yeah, that's a good one. Finding Dory. Buzz. Great one. This one surprised me. Love the movie. Think it might be on the Mount Rushmore of Pixar films. Not sure if this would be the character, though, that I would have as a one seed. Wally. How the hell do you not have Wally as the character of the one seed? The movie is called Wally, and it's a terrible movie. All We've he discussed says this. and the whole thing is Eva. That's it. Like, I love him. He's a great character. It's a great nasal voice. You nailed it, buddy. <laughs> That's the only thing he says in the entire I, I'm confused how you don't know why he's the number one seed. The movie is named after him. I understand, but, like, Nemo is not the top character from Finding Nemo. Because Dory. Nemo stunk. Dory was the best part. It was... Nemo had like a five minute role in finding Damn. Nemo. It was Alex Dory and Nemo. the dad. Okay. Oh, I don't hate Nemo. Well, Dory is a one seed, and I I think Wally is a little overseeded here. I, I, I don't think he should be a one seed. I've actually never even seen Wally. It's, it's worth a terrible your time. movie. Don't Get, watch it. The first fifteen minutes, they were feeling themselves. There's like Whoa. zero. There's zero dialogue. It's just watching him for like fifteen minutes. Grant. So mm. save yourself ninety minutes. It. It's, it's a terrible really movie. Two seed, Mister Incredible. 
I actually think he should be one seed. He should think that's what I would flip. Who's oh so okay. I would flip Wally yeah. and Mr. Incredible. Carl from up. I actually think the uh the little boy scout. What's his name? <laughs> he should be the number two seed over Carl. Remy from Ratatouille. That's an inspired choice. Ugh. And bad movie. What? Yeah, we've did, we've discussed this. Remy's an our uh, Ratatouille's an awful movie too. That's the worst single worst take you've no. ever had in your entire life. No, it's not. There ha- there is no worst take. Joy from Inside Out is also a two seed. I didn't like that movie. I either. haven't seen really? Inside Out. Yeah. <laughs> Those are three of the worst Pixar movies you can ask. For. All right, so I picked. Hold up- on a minute. How is how is a Boo or Sully? Or Mike Wazowski, not a number one or a number two seed. So I have some others that I wanted to go through that I was curious your thoughts on where they're seated. Sully and Mike Wazowski are both three seats. Higher. They need to be higher. That's so would you here's the thing. Mike easy to say that. Who are you taking off of the top two? Mr. Incredible. Mike Wazowski is better than Mr. Incredible. Mr. Incredible is a legitimate number one seed. No, Mike Wazowski is a legitimate number one seed. Mr. Incredible might be the third overall pick. Mike Wazowski would be any day of the week. I would have Mr. Incredible over Sully. Mike Wazowski is over Mr. Incredible and over Wally. I agree over Wally, the Inside Out one, too. I haven't seen Inside Out, though. It's a good good movie. No, it's not. Seven seed, Mr. Potato Head. That's ridiculous. That seems really low to me. He's got to be a dark horse, though. uh, He'll go on a run. Anybody who uh, has a scene in a movie where he says, don't forget your angry eyes and sticks them in his butt, phenomenal. (laughs) He's tremendous. And he's he's iconic. Oh, yeah. He's an iconic character. Rex from Toy Story. Where was his ranking? Rex. Or Ham. One of those two. Rex is an eight seed. He's going up against Crush from Finding Nemo. It's a tough first round draw. Yeah, he's going to lose that one. Yeah. But right, that's a probably a good seeding Who'd for you say your other Ham one? from Toy Story. Ham is a 10 seed going uh, up against Jesse, also from Toy Story. In the first round, no, it's Ham wins that one. draw. Ham wins that one no matter what. Uh, they get Remy most likely in the second round. So since, where was Sully at from Monsters, Inc.? In terms of his matchup? Yeah. Uh, Sully is a three seed, nice. and he... Okay. Will be going up against. I'm having a tough time finding him on this board. Uh, he's a three seed going up against. It's hard to see in here. Okay. Dash. Dash par? I don't know who I that is. I don't think I'm familiar. Look, you go through these all you want. Woody is the goat of all of these characters. Oh, Dash. Dash from uh, Mr. Incredible. Woody, Woody is incredible, incredible out of all of these. Is Roz on there for Monsters Inc.? Roz is on here. Roz, that's a good I one. I love her. Roz Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. Watch a lot of that movie. Uh, I'd have to go back through that to find where she's at. Oh, she is a 12 seed. Cow. Going up against Bing Bong. First round. Bing Bong. Lightning Stupid. McQueen has an 8 seed. I see. I, I never really got into cars. Really? Like, my nephew is obsessed with them, which makes sense, but like, I never got into it. So, I, you know, but I would imagine the highest seed out of cars would be. Um, Mater. Yeah. Larry the Cable Guy's character. He is, I believe. He's got to be like a four or a five seed. Mater is a... This is great. Uh, 11 seed. He's an 11 wow. seed. Wow. Going up against Nemo. Oh, he'll Ooh. win that. Nemo is a terrible character. Uh, Woody wins this one. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. somebody... So, the, the, the goats of this would be Mike Wazowski, Woody, and Mr. Incredible. I think Mike Wazowski wins it for me. Mike, really? Yeah. Woody, Woody Trump's on Monsters Inc. I think Woody's the greatest character in the history of Pixar. Anybody who you pull a string and he says, there's a snake in my boot and somebody poisoned the water hole, 
No way to beat those. By the way, 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Where is this bracket again? I need to send this to my family. Yeah, I need to do it. It is over one. on the ringer, and uh, we can go ahead and fill ours out, Alex, and maybe yeah. later on this week we'll update with okay. what we would have in the final. Uh, uh, this has nothing to do with this list, but I just want to throw this out there. Frank Vetrano Grant just apparently had his press conference, and he said, I have some unfinished business, so I hope I'm back. So. I hope uh, he's not. That's he's what not. everybody says. What are you talking about? He'll be he didn't by finish the end of the his month. business. St. Louis. Coming Whoa. up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters with a guy who is now on my you-know-what list. We'll talk about that coming up at 115. But next, what's the plan with Paul DeYoung? Is he really going to take over as a starter if and when he gets back to the big leagues here in St. Louis? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario is lost for the rest of the yeah, show. I'm out, guys. He's just doing his bracket for the Pixar movie characters. By the way, it's over at the ringer.com. That's where you find that. Uh, we've had a lot of texts asking where you can find this. Uh, it's over at the ringer. But if I can have your attention for the next six minutes, Alex. Not happening, but go for it. Do your best. Paul DeYoung might be close to his return. I know people don't want to hear it. You get mad at me even saying his name. Okay, well, back to the bracket because I got Doug <laughs> yeah. versus Slinky right now, and I think Doug's got the win on this. Well, that's basically the equivalent of Paul DeYoung versus Edmundo Sosa no, right now here not. in St. Louis. DeYoung hit another home run yesterday for AAA. He had three over the weekend. In his last 12 games, Alex, I know that some are going to say this is what he should be doing to AAA pitching, but it's not what he was doing when he first got down in AAA. He's 16 for 48, so he's batting 333. He has five walks, eight strikeouts, and eight home runs in his last 12 games. This is the version of Paul DeYoung that the Cardinals were hoping he could get back to when they sent him down to AAA. Now, the tough part is what comes next. Because it's easy to say, okay, he looks like he might be back. He looks like he might be finding his form once again. But what do you do now? Like, if this is Paul DeYoung finally finding his stroke again, Alex, does he just come back and you, you DFA and Mundo Sosa and he's back into his role as your starting shortstop? Or if, if not that, then what? What's the plan with him? For me, there's no way, shape, or form he's a starting player for the Cardinals when he gets brought back up. Let's start with the, with the roster decisions. I, I would be fine and I hate saying it, but I would be fine if they decided Paul DeYoung up and Edmundo Sosa DFA'd, and if he clears, he goes to Memphis. Because it obviously has not clicked this season for Edmundo Sosa, and frankly, he's not going to be playing over Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, or Tommy Edmonds. So he's already behind the eight ball. Can we start here? I think Edmundo Sosa right now, with your current roster, not taking into account Corey Dickerson because he's on the IL, he doesn't, he doesn't play into any of these decisions. I think Edmundo Sosa is your most, I hate saying this because you know that's my guy, He's probably the most expendable player currently among your position. Well, players. he is. And even people that say, no, Corey Dickerson is. Look, Corey Dickerson hits on left. the IL. And he hits left. And, and, and like setting that aside, you if you're going to have to make a decision, he doesn't play into those decisions because he's not currently on your active roster. So you have 26 yeah. men. So it does not matter. Set Corey yeah. Dickerson aside. And you're not touching your pitching staff. So you can say anybody you want of Whitley, Verhagen. It doesn't matter. You're and not you're touching your pitching. You've got two catchers right now. Both of them have to be on the roster. Arenado, Donovan, Edmund, Goldie, Gorman, Pujols, Yepes, Bader, 
Carlson and O'Neal. So those fi- are your other options. So I'm fine with if this is the decision they go with because he's hitting well. Look, he's probably I mean, he's better defender, in my opinion, than Edmundo Sosa. I don't know if he's more versatile, although if he could play short, I would imagine he could play second and he's played third before. So you have an infielder very similar to what Edmundo Sosa can play, and he's got more power than Edmundo Sosa. So that makes sense. But in no way, shape or form does Paul DeYoung get brought up from Memphis and becomes a starting option in my 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 uh, my lineup because he's tearing up for Memphis. Awesome. But he did this in spring training against minor league pitchers and he's doing this against minor league pitchers. He has not hit at the majors consistently since 2019. So for me, Ali Marmol's message to the team is if you hit, you play. We're going to bring you up because you're hitting in, in AAA. But you're going to get a bench roll, maybe a start at the DH. Maybe you'll get a start if a guy needs a day off. And if you hit, well, guess what? We'll continue to find out. We'll, we'll continue to find spots for you. But if you struggle, then Brennan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, Juan Yepes, these guys are getting their at-bats. It's tough because you basically have, so let's say they play an average of six games a week, right? You got the one off day and you're playing six games that week. Between first, second, short, third, and DH, you've got five opportunities there per day to start. So you've got 30 starting spots over the course of a week. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, The war bacon right now is all over the place, but go for it. Infield plus designated hitter, you've got 30 opportunities to start over the course of the week. Yeah. The reason why that's important is because Arenado and Goldie, they're going to take up about 12 of them. Those guys are going to start almost every day throughout the course of the season. Edmonds probably going to take up six of them as well with the way that he's been playing. He's too valuable to sit on a regular basis. So you essentially have what, what is left is 12 starting spots to go around for Donovan and Gorman and Pujols and Yepes and... Paul DeYoung that's five guys battling for 12 opportunities to start over the course of the week that's just it's nearly impossible to be able to get all of those guys the opportunities that they're looking for now to be fair probably only one of those starts is coming against a lefty maybe two so those will be your opportunities as a DH for Albert Pools and then the rest of them are all split between the other four I don't think that there are consistent everyday opportunities for Paul DeYoung while you still have Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan up here. And those guys aren't going down. They they have been exactly what you wanted them to be. Brendan Donovan is just every day. It seems like he's contributing to winning in some way. Now I know yesterday rough spot for him. He goes out and makes a bad play in right field. I think he's a natural second baseman. That's where I think he's had his best defensive opportunities, but defensive plays He's had some good throws from the outfield, but he's not as natural out there. So that's the type of thing that you expect. And Gorman's been mostly pretty good at second base for you defensively. And he's been pretty solid as a left-handed option for you at DH. I say, let's say this. If Paul DeYoung comes back, he can get one or two starts for me per week. And otherwise, he's a right-handed bat off of the bench. Yep. And until something changes, that's the way that I'm utilizing him. And I know that he's exp- he's an expensive utility player, but man, think about coming up late in a game. You've got a guy coming in as a reliever who's a righty, and you've got one of your catchers coming up to the plate. Instead of one of those guys hitting eighth, I'm going to have Paul DeYoung take that at bat and maybe he can give me a home run in that spot and fingers crossed that he comes up with a little bit more power than what we saw earlier in the season. But 
I think that's where we're at with him. He's not an everyday starter anymore. No. And if I'm bringing him back up, I'm bringing him back up for the potential of having that pop. And in all reality, it's a, it's a weapon off of the bench more than anything. But like, he's not going to play over Tommy Edmond because Tommy Edmond is, is what we just talked about earlier today. One of your top three players this season uh, overall and defensively, he's great at shortstop and at second base. Call me crazy, but I'm going to keep Nolan Gorman there. Like, I know there's defensive... Switching back between him and Donovan. That's but, fine, yeah. but, and I know there's defensive deficiencies, but, like, he's your future second baseman slash DH, so I'm going to keep giving him those reps, and Brendan Donovan deserves every opportunity to hit, and then it comes down to Juan Yepes and Paul DeYoung. You know what the difference between those two guys this season is? Juan Yepes has hit major league pitching, and Paul DeYoung has struggled. So Paul's the bench bat. I'm curious what where Cardinals fans are at on this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We've got the Rhino Shield mic drop feature as well on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get back to this coming up at about 145 or so whenever we hit the rewind. But if trading him is not an option, let me take that off of the table. Because everyone's asking if there's anything that you could get for him. And maybe you could. But realistically, no, not until he shows it again against big league pitching, which might be part of the reason why they bring him back up eventually is to showcase him for a potential trade deadline deal. There, there might be a team out there that is not contending right now that has a good reliever that says to themselves, ah, Paul DeYoung has shown that that power again. Maybe by the deadline, he does have some value in a trade. I do not think that that is there right now. Other than that, setting aside the trade, when he comes back up to the big league club, what do you think his role should be? And what do you think it will be? We'll get to all of that coming up at 145. 65780 is here. Comfort Service X line. A Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. But coming up next, let's get to some NFL quick hitters, including Alex. There is something about receivers that go from one of the best teams in the league to being on a mm, less than ideal contender and the things that come out of their mouths that just rubs me the wrong way. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including Tyreek Hill, who has made a whole lot of news over the last week or so. Alex, I'm so sick of this bleeping guy. So glad he's out of my life. Has he reached reached Aaron Rodgers threshold? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I think there's actually some similarities in these two. And the reason why I say that is because Tyreek Hill clearly just wanted to be the face of a franchise. And I don't think he cared what he cared what came with that. Or are you just sour because he's sick of your Kansas City Chiefs? Maybe. Maybe a little bit. Of that. <laughs> Someone's got <laughs> sour grapes. So the reason why I bring this up is because Tyreek Hill has a new podcast. Because, of course, he does. Down well, at South Beach, making $30 million a yeah. year. He's the highest what paid do you receiver. You want to start a podcast. And his first episode that came out was with his agent. They went back and looked at, hey, what happened? How are you now on the Miami Dolphins? And Tyreek Hill started to explain it. And he basically said, I think that the Chiefs, tried to decrease my value they were intentionally not throwing the ball to me as often as they should have and there were games that i was furious as a result so I he brought up speaking some truth there okay he brought up one game in particular which was early in the season in week number two he had three catches for 14 yards against the uh baltimore ravens and just four targets in that game that was coming off of his week one performance where he had 11 catches for 197 yards. He was very inconsistent as a fantasy football owner. He was indeed. 
that's how he is. <laughs> like Teams tried to take away what he was doing deep, and so you would have a blow-up game where he goes for 197 yards, and then the next two weeks combined, he had 70. And then the week after that, he had 185 yards with three touchdowns against the Philadelphia Eagles. And then he went back to like 50 yards per game, and then 100 yards. That's Tyreek Hill. That's who he is as a player. But he's complaining about all of this. So now he's talking trash on his former team. Hey, Tyreek Hill, what do you think life's going to be like for the Chiefs without you? But look, this is what I want inside the building. I want the head coach to know that on Sundays, defenses fear Tyreek Hill. That, that, that's what I want head, the head coach to know. And the head coach do know that, though. He know that. He know that, that without the cheat on the field, he know that, hey, Pat, you're going to have a long day today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pat, he heck of a quarterback, hell of a, quarter, hell of a player. I love him to death, but come on, man. Sometimes I just want people to just be like, hey, greet like, him. I'm so confused as what just took place in that whole conversation there from Tyreek. So he wants the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs to know that defenses fear when he is on the field. He, he wants well the defense is Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. He's very excited for them to find out what life is like without Tyreek Hill because he thinks it's going to be really hard for the Chiefs to win with Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek. I hate to break this to Tyreek, but I think the the other opposing defenses fear the quarterback before they fear the wide receiver because the wide receiver's got to catch the ball before he becomes a threat. I will give Tyreek Hill his or credit. Is that not how football works. He's one of the five. Oh yeah, most terrifying non-quarterbacks in he's, the league. In my, he's got to be the fastest player in the NFL. Yeah, and in terms of his change of direction, he's the best I've ever seen. I've never seen a player change direction as quickly as Tyreek Hill does. Now, pure like deep speed. There's other guys. I would take Randy Moss over him. But change of direction wise, jitterbug stuff. He's the best I've ever seen do that. But does he think Tua is going to get him the football? He does. No. As far as accuracy wise, I'm going with Tua all day. So which one would you rather have? The deep ball where you got to scramble around the field to try to go find it? Or you want that accuracy to hit you right in the bread basket on the run? I want it to hit me right in the bread basket just like I did in the Buffalo Bills game and take it 70. And the rest is history. And again, this is not a shot at anybody. Right. So essentially, Tyreek Hill just doesn't want to work for the pass. He doesn't want to go for the deep ball. He wants you to throw it to him so he can run to get the touchdown. Is it, am I hearing that correctly? Tyreek, man. Sometimes you can just be honest. Stephen A. Smith literally went on a rant about him today. And I'm no joke. I'm reading the tweet that says Tyreek stay off the weed. It's okay. If you just wanted to get paid, live in South beach and be the face of a franchise. That's what this is. It's that simple. Tyreek Hill didn't want to be in Kansas city, Missouri anymore. I don't blame him. Like, I'm from Kansas City. Oh. You're telling me I can go make $30 million to live in Miami and live on South Beach and go play sand volleyball every day during the offseason? That's think, what he does. What do you think life is? Top Gun? That's what I'm playing. Have you seen the new one yet? No, not yet. Spoiler all alert. I see is, not, not beach volleyball this time. All I see is our uh, videos of Miles Teller just shaking his body yeah. with no shirt on, so I'm imagining BK loved it. So... If you just wanted to go down there and live in South Beach, make a bunch of money and be the face of a franchise, that's fine. But it became increasingly clear. This is going to come as no shock to you, Alex. I listened to the entire podcast. (laughs) Do you hate listening to that podcast? I I very much did. (laughs) It became increasingly clear. He just didn't want to play second fiddle to Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes anymore. And honestly, what it reminded me a lot of was Kevin Durant, where he was in Golden State and he thought he was going to get all of his fulfillment out of winning championships 
It's like, this is everything that I've ever worked for. I'm going to win titles here. People are going to appreciate what I am as a player because I'm winning titles with these other excellent players. What he clearly didn't take into account was that was never going to be his team. Never. It was impossible. That's Steph Curry's team. But like, and that's, that's, that was Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. That's never going to be his team. He's always going to be secondary to the quarterback. And honestly, he's not wrong in thinking that he was always going to be secondary to uh, Travis Kelsey as well. He, he's not in that sense. But like for and I just I, I'm not built the way Tyree kill is in terms of knowing that I want to be the most important player. But like I would rather be somewhere where I know that the team struggles without me and with with me, the team is elite. I'm going for Super Bowl every single year over going somewhere i'm gonna get paid which is great i was getting paid where i was at also yeah, it was gonna get like 22 million dollars in kansas city but i'm gonna get at, paid they say 30 it's actually like 25 but do i really want to go to a team that yeah everyone's gonna know i'm i'm needed but my team's not going to be a super bowl contender he believes that he would rather be in that second well he believes also that two is better than patrick that, mahomes totally, so the guys he doesn't actually believe that yeah. like he's to, to quote Stephen A, stay off the weed. Yeah, like, stay off the weed. Let's not be ridiculous here. Uh, I've seen people actually trying to like, on Twitter, there were actually people trying to make the argument that Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Guys, Tua's just not better than him. We, we can have that argument about Tua, what he does well. There is no argument that Tua Tungavailoa is better than Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or any of these guys. He's just not. And it's not going to be this year. It wasn't last year. It's never going to be. He can be an average quarterback, though. And Tyreek going down there is going to help that. But I, I think this is just the latest reminder of guys who really want to have that off-field fame, almost. Yeah. Like, there are certain guys that just, they, they take in. And that's why you went to Miami, because you want to be the guy that the entire city 100%. is looking at. And that that's okay. But that's what this is. Let's not pretend that it is something else. Someone just said he's trying to be a good teammate with Miami. Yeah, but you're also <laughs> a bad teammate if you're calling him better than Patrick Mahomes and then you watch him on the field. It's going to be really interesting to see what kind of teammate he is if Miami doesn't win a bunch yeah, of games I'm this upcoming so season. Curious. If Tua underthrows him a couple of times or misses him but with a target, mm-hmm. well, how do you think Tyreek Hill is going to react on his podcast that week? Yeah, he said and during his podcast, he's talking to his agent Drew Rosenhaus, and he said he, apparently he was texting his agent throughout the season talking about how unhappy he was in Kansas City. Now, imagine if that same stuff happens and his usage is inconsistent this year with the Dolphins no. and Tua as his quarterback. Ooh, buddy. Can Tua mentally handle being called out by Tyreek Hill after a game? I don't know. I, Patrick I, I really don't can. know. What I'm really curious about, I don't think that we will see Tyreek become Antonio Brown. That is... Unlike just about anything we've ever seen in the diva category. Someone said saying two has better accuracy than Mahomes is like saying Shaq is better shooter than Curry because his field goal percentage exactly. is better. <laughs> exactly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's a great text. Doesn't make any more. sense. I think that what we are going to see is Tyreek becomes more of an off field thing. And I'm not talking about like legally, although obviously we can have that as a separate conversation. He's going to be more in the news with his comments than what we saw from him in Kansas City. Yeah, his podcast will be more popular than the team in Miami this year. Bleeping podcast. Coming up in 15 minutes. Thanks for letting me vent, guys. I appreciate it. Coming up in 15 minutes, the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Want to hear from you guys on what you would do with Paul DeYoung if and when he gets back up to the big leagues after he's hit eight home runs in his last 12 games down in Memphis. But next, 
How are you feeling about the Cardinals offense right now? It had its ups, but it's certainly also had its downs over the weekend. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Edmund with a drive out to deep right. It is gone. It's a walk off. The Cardinals were down to their final out and they win it off the bat of Tommy Edmund. Home run number six. The Birds walk it off. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. How are we feeling about the Cardinals offense right now? 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You get you look at some of the traditional statistics, Alex. Cards are top 10 in just about every category. In the National League, top five in just about every category. If you look at the runs per game on the season, they are sixth now. That being said, you look at the weekend and it was not the prettiest in terms of what they did offensively, especially with runners in scoring position. And you can go all the way back to that Rays series. The Cardinals in their last four games are six for 34. That's a 176 batting average with runners in scoring position. They left 27 men on base in those four games. And in those games, they scored one run, two runs, five runs, and then last night, six runs and lost seven to six. Alex, we'll start with you. Where are you at on the offense right now? How are you feeling about them just overall as a team? Fine. I'm fine with the offense. I I think in a lot of categories, they're top 10 in Major League Baseball, which we've talked about and you've pointed out. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency from a couple of guys, but in all reality, those couple guys that I'm talking about, two of them have been injured and Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, and the other two have had spurts where they've gone a month where they've been the best player in Major League Baseball and Goldschmidt and Arenado. So I'm talking about five guys right there that when you get past the injuries and you get more consistency, you're talking about a dangerous team. I'm fine with it. I think the depth of this offense is going to be the selling mark for the rest of this season. And I think some of the uh, guys who have had maybe quieter portions of the season will turn it on a little bit later in. So I'm, I'm actually in a position where I'm comfortable with their offense. I feel really good about it, man. I think you're finally starting to see that they have depth in the lineup. I like the fact that they have a Nolan Gorman and a Brendan Donovan. And then you've got a couple of switch hitters with Edmund and Carlson that you can go to right now. I don't feel as concerned about the Cardinals when they're going up against right-handed pitching. And that's been the issue for years in St. Louis, man. You look at what they've tried to do against those, those, those pitchers from the right side. And that's like 70% of the pitchers that you see. It's been a real struggle at times for them. And this year, they don't have those same issues against that style of pitcher whenever they've got those guys in the lineup from the left side. This is where everyone goes to, BK. They go to runners in scoring position. Mm -hmm. The the first thing out of anybody's mouth when you talk about offense is, yeah, but look at all the guys they left on base against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cincinnati Reds. But this is actually a team that's better in running with runners in scoring position than what people are giving them credit for. They're top five in baseball. Not the National League. Like, they're in the same category as the Dodgers, the Mets, the Giants, and for some odd reason, the Cleveland Indians. Guardians. Cleveland's number one in every runners in scoring position category. Don't know how this is possible because I thought that team sucked. They they do. Well, they're they're okay. But you look at the rest rest of those teams that you mentioned, those are the contenders. And that's the 
that's where you want the Cardinals to be. You want them in any statistical category you're looking at. If you're in the same area as the Mets and the Dodgers, you're pretty good. I'd, I'd take that every category uh, or every day of the week in that category. Here's what the Cardinals have done so far in the month of June, Alex. Looking this up over on Fangraphs. Let's just go batting average because I know traditionally that's what we can go with. Nolan Arenado, 326. Tyler O'Neill, 333. Tommy Edman, 304. Juan Yepes, 286. Brendan Donovan, 310. Harrison Bader, 280. Surprisingly enough, Paul Goldschmidt has actually cooled down in the month of June. He's batting 210 this month. Positive side, though, he's got a 365 on pace percentage That's so far good. in this month. That's your top seven. Nolan Gorman has really slowed down. He's batting 156 in the month of June. He's striking out about 40% of the time. But Nolan Gorman is a young player who's watching the league adjust to him right now. And I I do have some confidence that he's going to be able to get that going again. And to be honest with you, man, if he doesn't, it's okay. It's not the end of the world, and they can send him back down. I know nobody wants to hear it right now, but if he continues hitting 156, his confidence starts to get down, and they don't have everyday opportunities for him, maybe you do send him back down, and that's the move to be able to bring back up Paul DeYoung. And listen, I, I know DeYoung has not been good this year, and his but his numbers look a lot like what Gorman's have been over the last two weeks now, and he's been good down in the minors. So maybe DeYoung does give you a little bit of a pop there for – even if it's a two to three week stretch, maybe eventually Gorman gets right. He comes back up. You DFA Edmundo Sosa. The reason why I bring all this up is because, man, it's hard for me to look at these numbers. Look at what this offense is right now and say anything other than positive uh, opinions about where they are and where they could be. This offense has really high potential, and I think we're starting to see that come around now. I hope so. I mean, I do because as much as I say that I'm I'm confident and I'm fine with the offense, I just I'm always so concerned that they're going to go into a lull. But the reason I I fight back internally with that is you just look at the players that they have. Like they have guys who come up in big moments. Tommy Edmond just did it over the weekend. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, they're always good at it. Heck, Juan Yepes has had a couple of those this season, and we know Brendan Donovan has had plenty of those. And then you've got Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. That's seven guys right there that you're looking at. The catcher position is probably offensively the weakest position on your team right now. Definitely. And then your bench has gotten Im- more improvements with guys like Yepes, who is going to be coming off of it, and if Paul DeYoung is brought back up. So it's just hard to be pessimistic about the offense at this time. Because for me, it's not the it's not the issue. The issue has been pitching, and it's because of the injuries and the fact that you're using guys in positions that they weren't expected to be used in. Now, there's been some pro- pleasant surprise out of it in Zach Thompson and Andre Pallante, but there's also been the moments that have hurt this team. But if they're not dealing with the losses of Flaherty's innings and Matz's in- innings and then figuring out that the Hicks thing didn't work, I mean, that's three six inning starts every time through you go through the rotation you're you're overusing your bullpen at this point yeah you you feel good about where the offense is and I do want to mention um one other guy that we've got to give a lot of credit to not here in St. Louis but can we give some kudos to Matt Carpenter hell yeah we talked about this briefly earlier today let carp cook right guys this is one of the rare stories that I think worked out well for all, all parties involved 
it was a clean break. He hit 170 last year for the Cardinals. It was over. And everybody agreed that the right move was to not bring Matt Carpenter back. 36 years old. Go let him try it elsewhere. See if he can catch lightning in a bottle. And if he does, more power to him. Matt Carpenter probably knew it's best for me to move on. There's no opportunities here at second base. They don't have really a utility spot available for me with some of these younger players that are getting ready to come up. Both parties knew this is over. We've had a great decade together. Time to move on, go our separate ways. And now what you've seen is in 10 games since Matt Carpenter joined the Yankees, he has eight hits. Six of them have gone for home runs. His OPS on the season, Alex, is 1,600. I'm so happy for this guy. We heard all about his journey to be able to get his swing back on track. He went all over America talking to basically everybody he's ever come in contact with that he respects from a hitting perspective to try to figure out what's gone wrong and can I still do this? Really kind of introspective this offseason of who am I as a baseball player now and can this work in 2022? The answer is yes. It's worked really well for him so far in New York. I don't think it sustains. I think by the end of the season, he's probably not the same guy. And honestly, I don't care. This is just a really cool baseball story, and I couldn't be more happy for him. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I know I was the number one guy who was going after Matt Carpenter and the struggles. But look, like you root for guys individually to not have their career taken away from them. And Matt Carpenter's essentially was about to be ended. And I know he's up there in age, but he said that he felt like he was back to himself this offseason. And he went, respect goes to him also, because he went to the minors and accepted that assignment where he couldn't get a major yep. league job. And a lot of the guys would just say, no, I'm going to call it a career. And he said, no, I still got more in me. He takes a job with the Texas Rangers, goes to AAA, tears it up for him, and then gets his big, big, uh, big league opportunity once again with the Yankees. Some of this might be just the ballpark that's working in his favor because I think a lot of his home runs have come at the Yankees ballpark. But if you go by the how far they traveled now, the wind patterns, all of this different stuff, it can change things. But if you go by how far they traveled, all of them also would have been out here at Bush Stadium. Interestingly enough, doesn't matter. But he has spent his entire offseason figuring out what went wrong for him and he's adjusted to it and it's paid off. So it's it's hard not to be proud of a guy like Matt Carpenter for what he's doing. And in all reality, I know we kind of poo-poo on him, but if Paul DeYoung does this, I'm going to be saying the Great. exact same thing about him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final thing from the 618. Guys, if, if Carpenter is showing that it's working better, maybe it is an, a Jeff Albert issue. Matt Carpenter was quoted in the offseason as saying, I didn't buy into enough of what Jeff Albert was selling. And this offseason, part of how he got his swing back on track for what it's worth were some of the same philosophies that Jeff Albert was trying to implement with Matt Carpenter earlier, but it took him failing over and over and over again to hit rock bottom with a swing and to figure out, okay, I need to go change some things. And some of the things that he bought into were Jeff Albert philosophies. You don't have to like it. I'm not even telling you that Jeff Albert's right 100% of the time. He's not. No hitting coach is infallible. But Matt Carpenter has even said publicly that, those are the things that got him back on track. Coming up next, let's hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with your thoughts on Paul DeYoung, what his role could be when he gets back here into the big leagues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. So Paul DeYoung had a huge weekend down in AAA, finished with three home runs over the weekend. He now has eight in his last 12 games. So we asked you, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, what you want to see Paul DeYoung's role be with the Cardinals if and when he is brought back up to the big league club. Alex, I was curious how they could make this work when you've it comes to the line your notebook over here. You today. See that little matrix that I've got you've, there. You've been, you've been paying about as much attention to this show for the rest of the hour that I have with the ringer and the Disney characters. Yes. So Alex has been working on his bracket for the Pixar uh, movie characters. I've been working on, okay, how do I get at bats for all of these different guys? If they bring back Paul DeYoung. One of these is very good for the show. The other one doesn't. I'll let you decide. (laughs) So I was working on this and I've got every position available to me, Alex, and I did a six game week, right? So I have two of these games are against left-handed pitching. The other four would come against right. Oh, damn. You put together six different lineups. (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) I thought you were just trying to figure out where the at-bats were happening. No, nope. nope. I've got first base, second base, who's starting where and when and against which pitchers. Yeah, I'm a nerd. It's all right, man. Yeah, you are. We can all accept it. So I I have everybody getting... This is why Mike Schilt told you it's not your job. That's correct. I have everybody getting at least one day off because I think that's kind of been their MO so far is one, one day off per week to be able to get them off of their feet that's that's the starting point Goldie starting the other five games so are Edmund and Arenado and Donovan those are your quote-unquote everyday players in this scenario guys getting four starts Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes no Nolan Gorman's in there every day against right-handed pitching Yepes is in there he's he has one day at first base a couple of days as your DH and then one day in the outfield in this scenario you've got Paul DeYoung getting three starts and you have um Albert Poole is getting the two starts against lefties. Are you good with that? If that's the way that it three shook out. Three starts for Paul DeYoung? Yep, three starts over the course of a week and for Donovan Paul DeYoung. Donovan starting every day. Donovan is essentially an everyday starter along with Arenado, Edmund, and Goldie. Gorman's, Gorman's getting all of the, the starty, starts against righties. Albert's getting all of the starts against lefties. Yepes and DeYoung are kind of the guys that have to split that playing time as a result of this. If that ended up being the way they went about it, yeah, I, and they I would, kept everybody fresh for 162 by doing so, would you be okay with I'd it? I'd be fine with that. And if he doesn't hit, then Juan Yepes is going to get more games than Paul DeYoung. Because essentially, if if Donovan and Edmund are playing every single day, that means Donovan's either a second baseman or a DH. And when Gorman is playing, Donovan's probably the DH. So essentially, Paul DeYoung is going to give Tommy Edmond a day off and playing DH two other days. I'm fine with that. And if he's not hitting as the DH in those two other days, then Juan Yepes is going to get an extra one as a DH, and Paul DeYoung goes down to one day at DH. So here's the thing. I think DeYoung is back at shortstop if he's starting for you. There's no, no. Uh, that, that is the one thing I will not do. And I know Katie told us, which you could check out on the podcast uh, in just a bit, I know Katie said that he doesn't have a position that is set in stone that's fine but why would you take the guy off of shortstop if he performs at the level that he performs so in this scenario i have a couple of days where it's gorman edmund and de young all playing in those scenarios i think you put de young at third base and edmund is your shortstop and give arnado the day off yeah or dh, or DH. yeah that, that would be the day off potentially is that for- the day where pujols is the dh or Yepes is the dh yep 
Yeah, so I've got Edmund at short. I've got DeYoung at third and Gorman at second base on that day. You could even go... You could also do Gorman as natural position on those days at third base. You have DeYoung at shortstop and Edmund at, at second. The reason why I find it to be really interesting is because you have options now. Alex, when was the last time that we had a roster that had this in St. Louis with this many options and this much flexibility? Because of the manager, I would say since Tony La Russa. I mean, it's been since the Memphis Mafia. Yeah, and even Tony La Russa, I feel like, didn't utilize the... The because rest has become much. more of a well, thing now baseball as well. was different. Yeah. Baseball was a lot more different then than it is now. But Mike Matheny didn't really do this. Mike Schilt didn't really do this. This is the this is the new age baseball with us. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 636. Don't force him into the lineup. He lost his job. These other guys have earned it. He should not be starting for you whenever he gets back up to the big leagues from the 661. Guys, they have to trade Paul DeYoung no matter what. That has to be his role. It's not here in St. Louis. It's getting you something else that can help you i, I think Someone if you're going to trade said, him it requires you to first find out what he can do at the big leagues i yeah, think well, other teams will want to see that and that's as someone said ferrario's dead set on de young not performing i could see him coming back and making a legit impact can't write him off that's fine but i've been saying those first couple of phrases for the last year and a half it's like oh he's gonna come back and he's gonna, i i can't do that to myself anymore because i've got three other guys who are performing at that position and at this level I've, I've said it for 18 months that Paul DeYoung is going to get back on track. We were sold after spring training that Paul DeYoung was back to himself. I even said it the first day, opening day. I said, man, I've fallen back in love with Paul DeYoung. And then we got the 190 batting average and the inability to get on base. So I can't keep sitting here and saying, well, he's going to get back to form. He's going to make a legit impact. And then it not happen and take away those at-bats for Gorman, Yepes, and Donovan who have actually done it. One thing to keep in mind this week. As I mentioned a little bit ago, we have seen a little bit of a slowdown in the production from Nolan Gorman. There, Right now, the Pirates are expected to throw at least three of the next four games right-handed pitchers. You should see Gorman in every one of those games. If the production doesn't get an uptick, I do wonder if by the end of the week when the Cardinals go out on their road trip, potentially you make that swap. Yep. I, I'm not saying I love it. I, I'm just telling you. That could be what they do. It's what the path they did with of least resistance. What yeah. they did with Libertor. And you could see him go down, and then maybe he's able to come back up as a result of this. We saw this with Carlson. Yep. Carlson went down, got himself fixed, and then he came back up and started producing once again. That could very well take place with Nolan Gorman this year. For Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're so excited to be back with you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.